Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WCWA Network on YouTube and all other platforms. I am your host with the most California in theory, and it is 10 p.m. my time. It is 9 a.m. my guest's time, and I'm very excited to speak to this man. He's like a journeyman. He's been so many places. He's done so many things in the wrestling business, and I'm sure a lot of other things too, which we're going to find out about here today on the show, he is the one and only, the incomparable, Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. How you going, Frankie? Good. Thank you very much for that introduction. I appreciate it. No worries, man. Um, yeah, as I was saying to you just before, you know, I always wanted to find out more about you. And that also made research a little difficult for me because uh, I found a bunch of results of matches that you've had over the years but there's just not enough information on things that you did in the different territories you were in. So uh, this is going to be exciting for me. Absolutely. And, me, and myself as well. We'll have some stories to share. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so usually, Frankie, when we start the show, we, uh, we ask every person that comes on the show is, uh, how did you first become a fan of wrestling? Okay, so that's a great question. And, and I'm glad that you asked me that, uh, coincidentally. So I, when I was a kid raised here in Tampa, um, I always had a, uh, my father introduced me to the, to the wrestling business at the time. Um, it was Florida championship wrestling and Gordon Sully was the host of a TV show that would come on Saturdays. And I always liked it as a child. And as I got older and I got into junior high school, I went to school with the young lady and come to find out her uncle is Don Morocco. And he was my favorite wrestler at the time. Really? So we're talking, we're talking, uh, I want to say 1973-ish, 74. Um, I was in uh, in my ninth grade uh, year of, of junior high, and I used to go to the matches every Tuesday. Well, lo and behold, I didn't know this, but some friends of mine that are my neighbors that I used to see all the time at the swimming pool, you know, on the weekends, they told me that he was uh, he lived next door neighbor to them, which was about five or six blocks from me. And if I'm going too fast, let me know, because sometimes I do talk too fast. That's cool. You're yeah. doing fine. And he was looking for somebody to mow his grass. Lo and behold, in the junior highs, I'm out mowing grass on the weekends trying to make a couple of bucks. Okay, cool. So I go up and knock on his door one day, and he answers the door. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> he looked at me. He goes, are you Frankie? I said, I am. He goes, well, the girls next door told me about that you were going to come over. I went out to shake his hand. I was shaking. I was scared. Because you're, uh, uh, when, when you're that small and you see a guy this big, he was probably 285, 290 pounds. And I'm, I've never seen a man that big in life until I went to wrestling. I'm thinking, how do you, how do these guys get like this in life? <laughs> yeah. So lo and behold, I went to mow his grass and he said, if you have any problems, let me know, come on in, blah, blah. And, you know, I'll help you move some things. So I mowed his grass. I didn't want to be a pain to him. And then as, as the time goes on and I mowed his grass weekly, he went to talk to me. He goes, I think I've seen you at the matches before. I said, yes, you have. <laughs> so there came a time where he said, hey, look, if you're going to go on Tuesday nights, just let me know a couple of days before. If you want, you can ride with me. Just please keep your mouth shut. I said, wow. <laughs> I told my parents and they said, are you serious? You do? I said, absolutely. I want to do that. So I, I would, I mean, I didn't make it a habit every week, maybe once a month. I did, but otherwise I would have my mom and my dad drop me off and they'd pick me back up, which is probably seven or eight miles south of where I lived right. at the Fort Homer Hesterly Army on Tuesday nights. Matches started at eight and I was always there at seven, seven fifteen. Um, you know, just to be able to pay attention to what the show was going on. And then as time went on, uh, Don Morocco had done several matches, uh, you know, at the, at the, from the likes of Steve Kern, 
Mike Graham, Kevin Sullivan, people like that. Uh, the Briscoes were there at that time. Dusty Rose was there at that time. I thought to myself, I'm taking an interest in this. As I got into high school, um, I was I was 5'9 and about 180 pounds. I thought to myself, but I was kind of blob. I was just uh, had, had a stomach on me. I thought to myself, I need to get myself in shape. So my senior year, I started working out, which oh, when I tell you, it was the biggest challenge of my life because I wasn't, I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't have any strength for myself. And I kind of milked it to where I could do what I could do. And I, a, a friend of mine named Gus said, Frankie, if you want to do this serious, I'll help you out. But you have to listen to what I'm telling you to be able to get you where you want to go. And then I started getting, I got a gym membership at a place called Hector's, which is where all the boys went, the wrestlers. Right. Lo and behold, I start there on a Saturday. I go in there on a Saturday morning, and there's a, a, a ton of the guys. I went, oh, my God. So I'm like to myself, I need to work out, or am I going to be a mark and go up and, and you know, talk to these guys? So I was being a mark and go up and talk to these guys. You know, they were nice about it. They said, hey, we're here to get a workout, and we have to, you know, tonight we have to be in Miami, so can you let's get our workout, and we'll talk another day. So and I kind of got my feelings hurt, but now <laughs> I understand, you know, what's going on with that. Absolutely. Lo and behold, they said – you know, if you ever want to become a wrestler, this is what you have to do. Get yourself in shape, you know, get your, your, your weights going on, get improvement in your body. And, you know, but also, too, we want you to be educated, too. So just don't think that wrestling can be your background to where you can make a living. Always have an alternative. So lo and behold, in high school, um, I was working out religiously six, seven days a week. And then I decided to join the military. Being the youngest of six kids, my parents didn't have the money to send me to college. So I went into the military. Right. And 10 months after I graduated, I, so I graduated June the 9th of 78. And on April 17th, which was my mom's birthday of the following year, I went to the military. Right. So I went to the military. Um, I was, I think probably, I had lost a bunch of weight. I forgot to tell you that part. I'd lost a bunch of weight over the summer before my senior year, probably about 40 pounds. I went to the military at 6'1 and 134 pounds. <laughs> and I came out of the military at 200 pounds. So I had put on about 65 pounds Wow! in the, in the, six, in the six years that I was in. And my, my dream was I wanted to try to become a policeman or a wrestler. So about a year, am I going too fast? No. About a year and a half prior to me um, getting out of the military, I was already putting my name into Tampa Police Department to see if I could get hired, you know, as a former veteran. You know, and, and, and I, I, I kept my nose clean. I didn't have any problems with, with the law. I wasn't into drugs and alcohol, which I came from a very, very, very drug-addicted, alcoholic family. Oh, the I see. Six. Myself, the youngest, and the oldest, my oldest brother, Steve, went this way, and the other four siblings followed my dad. My dad passed away at 49 years of age on December the 24th of 81, right after I turned 21 years old in October. Oh, gosh. And I was in Germany. I was stationed in Germany. So my, my father said, you know, I hope, you know, if you're done with the military, you're going to you know, pursue your career, either being a, become a cop or a wrestler. Well, lo and behold, um, when I was getting out of the, when I was a guy out of the military and I could not become a cop because at, at Tampa at that time, they were under restraint minorities. So they were hiring Hispanics, females, uh, African-Americans and whatever else, but not for me. So I said, you know what? I, I, I did some research and I had a friend of mine told me to go to the body shop Jim, which is where Rocky Johnson was. Right. I don't know that he was training, but he, I went over there one day and there's a, a, a guy, a, 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 some guys that are twins. They call them the twins. They own the gym 
and Rocky wasn't there, but they said, here's the name, the great Blink. I said, do you know him? I said, I know him very well. Well, go down this way a couple blocks and to the right, and he's at this place. This is where his wrestling school is. So I went over there. As soon as I left the gym, went up there, I got out of the car. As soon as I get up to the – it was a mattress factory where they used to make mattresses and stuff there. But it has ring in there, and I seen some guys. Uh-huh. I went, oh, my God. There were some guys that I was in high school with that were trained to become wrestlers. All right. <laughs> they got out of the ring when I walked in. They said, Frankie, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, you know, I've always had interest in this sport, so I wanted to see what I can do. They said, well, here, let me introduce you to the great Malenko. So they introduced me to the great Malenko, um, the, one of the nicest, most humble guys I could ever meet in my life. He said, this is what it's going to cost you, $35 a week, cash money, and I, I'd like you to come here three or four days a week if you can, and it's going to be $35 a week. No problem. So he goes, when can you start? I said, when do you, you want me to start? He goes, um, how about next week? I said, no problem. He said, get your stuff together. Please don't remember to bring me cash. I don't take checks or credit cards, uh, and, and I'll get you started in the business. He goes, I'll tell you now, I can't make any promises, but if you'll listen to me and stay with me for a while, I'll teach you and see what I can do for you in the future. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was a great experience, but I, I went home and I was kind of concerned. I thought to myself, what am I getting myself into? And I had told my mom and she said, Frankie, that's the career you want to pursue. Go ahead and pursue it. Lo and behold, next week comes, I go there. I think it was on a Monday or Tuesday. He said, be here at five o'clock in the afternoon. So I worked at, um, at the time I was working at um, doing construction um, when I got out of the military. And, you know, the, the construction hours were 7 in the morning until 3.30. So I went home, showered, got my stuff together, and went to the wrestling school. And so the first day I started, um, give me one second. I've, I've got a mind like Carl von Stroheim was also with the Grant Blanco teaching students as well and i remember him as a as a big heel and 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 larry simon the great malika was a big heel and then I mean, they they drew big money in florida when i was a kid i mean big money they sold out of houses every tuesday night in, in tampa wednesday night they were in miami thursday they were in west palm friday they were in jacksonville sundays they were at the eddie graham sports arena in orlando i mean these guys were selling out houses. house i thought it was a, oh my god i wish one day you know i could be able to have the credit for doing that well, lo and behold, I get to the school. I'm in the school about six months. And one of the guys that I mentioned to you a little while ago that I went to school with said, hey, Frankie, how's it like to be over here on an on a, a independent wrestling show? I could probably get you booked. I said, I'd like to do that, but my experience isn't real good. I said, it's okay. You have to learn somehow. So I met the guy at a, at a fire station in Plant City, which is about 25 miles away from Tampa, and they were running independent shows. And the guy said, well, I can pay you 20 bucks but I'd like to, you know, use you maybe in the first match. No problem. And they knew I was very green. And I remember that night, the night before, I, I, my blood pressure was raised. I was shaking to death. I was scared because yeah. it was my first time performing in front of people. Well, I get to that show. Um, I'm carrying my bag. And uh, I get out of the car. Some people come up and ask me for an autograph. I thought, oh, my God, this is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they didn't, they didn't know who I was or I didn't know who they were. But – Lo and behold, it was an outside show, and they had this curtain that they had a curtain for the baby faces and a curtain for the heels, yeah. which was all combined. But <laughs> yeah, you know, they said that, and they had a, a like it was like at a, a, a park, and the restrooms were where the public could use the bathroom. And they said this is, and they didn't have they had they had showers outside, but they said this is where we're dressed, blah blah blah. This is what your match is, blah 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 blah. And the closer it got to that match, I was shaking. I was so damn nervous. And 
They said, what kind of music do you want to play? I said, well, I, I don't. They said, we have the music. You said what song you want. And I said, well, I'd like to use maybe Van Halen Jump. <laughs> yeah. They said, I think it'd be a good, a, a good ring song for you for a baby face. And of course, the guy I was working with, um, I think his name was Bob Cook. And unbeknownst to me, he was very experienced. And when I got in the ring with him and they introduced me, there may have been 150 people there. I thought I was on top of the world because all these people were chanting for me. Right. So the bell ring. I mean, the referee checks me, checks him. The bell rings. We lock up. And as soon as I locked up with him, my mouth went so dry, I couldn't even breathe. <laughs> and he was saying, Frankie, relax, relax, relax. It's going to be okay. Just listen to me. We'll get through this. And I had a 15-minute match with him. This is like 30 or 40 seconds in the beginning of the match. I went, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? <laughs> so I tried to relax a little bit, and things went on. And he got the heat on me. He said, get ready for your comeback, which I get what a comeback was. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah. So he shoots me off. He says, duck my clothes on, duck my elbow, cross body me. So when I cross bodied him, the people popped, and I grab a hold. He said, no. He, he was using customers after watch what I'm saying. No, blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Just keep beating on me, beating on me. So he did another spot. So do this here. I grabbed it another hole. So then he kicked me in the gut and, 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 and stopped me and says, damn it, listen to me. I'm trying to get you over. So I listened to him. As soon as I listened to him, he called a couple more spots. I did this. I followed what he said. He said, just keep on. Don't stop. Don't stop. And I was so damn blown up when he did that. And, I, and then after I pinned him, I got my hand raised. He said, that's all you had to do. Easier said than done. <laughs> and I, I felt bad for him. So when we got back in the in the dressing room, you know, the dressing area, he said, Frankie, I want to thank you because you have to learn to relax. This business is 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 good, but if you don't relax, I can't help you. And as a heel, I didn't know this. As a heel, we're gonna guide you to get your hand raised because this is what the people want. Right. So, wow. You know, and you know, and, and, and you live and you learn. And then so and that was like six or seven months I had been in the business. And then I went back to the wrestling school the following week, and, the, and Greg Lincoln said, I heard you got booked um, at an independent show. I said, I sure did. He goes, well, you didn't ask me about that. I said, well, I don't believe that I signed any paperwork. you saying that I was exclusive to you. And what it was, because I had learned a lot of the things quicker than other guys because I really wanted it. He wanted to try to continue to keep me there and have me pay, me pay him, which I understand. It's a business. Right, of course, yeah. After, the, after that – um, I only stayed with him for another month or so, and I told him my last day there, I, or the last week. I said, "This is going to be the last week I'm here. Um, I'm going to go elsewhere." And he said, "Well, you don't have to. You know, you, it's okay. You don't have to pay me." Or something. I said, "No, I'd like to stay another week and just be able to learn." He goes, "Okay, we'll go over here." He kind of got mad at me because I was leaving him, you know. And I understand that, but I got I started getting myself booked, and then one day, lo and behold, at, at the place I was telling you I was doing construction, it was at the woman's hospital. Um, there was a guy that came in and his wife was having a, a baby and his name was Louis Estea and he used to wear a hood and did many, many gimmicks. And I saw, and I saw him, I said, Louis, and he was at the hospital and I, 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 we were working on a parking deck and he parked in one of the areas that were, that were open. I was working on the area that was closed. I said, Hey, I'm Frankie Lancaster. Um, that's the name that uh, Frankie Lang. Cause I used a, a, a girl that I knew in elementary school. I used her last name cause I didn't use Kirschner cause I didn't think it'd be, appropriate right. for the business. So I tried to use a short name. And he said, I'll tell you what you can do. On Wednesday, if you can, make it to the Sportatorium, which is where they do the TV taping, which aired on Saturdays. And the TV taping started at one o'clock. I said, well, the only thing I can do is because I work construction here. I have to take my lunchtime because I don't care what you have to do. 
just get over there on a TV taping one day about one o'clock and go out there and ask for Charlie Lay. So I get out, I go for, I go for the construction center area, which was the woman's hospital um, to where my daughter was born. <laughs> so um, I get out of the car at the sportorium. I walk in the office. I'm very nervous. I said, is Charlie Lay here? I said, that's me. He goes, how can I help you, kid? I said, well, I got some information from Lewis and Stan to talk to Mike Graham. Lo and behold, when I was in high school, I'd go to the Army on Tuesdays to watch matches, but I also sold coach to make some money. And that's how I got to know Mike Graham and Steve Kern. And I told him one day I wanted to become a wrestler. He said, well, the day comes that you want to become a wrestler, you come see me. I'll help you out, kid. Well, that very day I went there to talk to Charlie Lay. He said, as a matter of fact, give me one second. He went on and he said, Mike, come here. He goes, he said, Kay Faber, there's some here that wants to talk to you. I didn't understand the, you know, the language at that time. Yeah. And Mike came out. He goes, how can I help you? I said, Mike, remember me? I'm Frank. I used to sell Cokes. He goes, I do remember. He goes, and I remember you telling me you wanted to get in the business. And I understand from Lewis and Stan that you're in the business now. I said, well, I'm trying to get in. You know, I, I still have a lot to learn. He goes, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? Let me think about it. You go ahead and go back to work so you don't get in trouble. And I'll give you a call. Just let me think about it. So I went back to work. I was telling the guys at work, I'm, I might be able to have a, you know, I might get my break in the business I've been trying to work so, you know, so hard for. And said, Frank, you're never going to make it. Look at you and look at these other guys. I, it never got me down. So two weeks it went by. And one day on a Tuesday, the foreman come up to me and said, hey, there's a guy named Mike Graham on the phone. Do you know him? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I knew the foreman didn't know him. So I said, and I started shaking. I was so damn happy. I said, can I go get the call? He said, absolutely. Go get the call. And as soon as I got that call, he said, Frankie, this is Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you? He goes, I'm going to give you your tryout tomorrow. I need you here at 8 o'clock in the morning. The show didn't start till 1. <laughs> what a rib that was. He goes, I want you to get that mask that you had made from Wild Romana. I want you to get somebody that doesn't know you to drop you off at the corner of Kennedy and Armenia Avenue, which is near the downtown area, but it's fully infested with marks. And so it, at the time, I was married to my first wife. My father-in-law took me at eight o'clock in the morning, dropped me off, and I walked about four blocks. And I'm getting with my bag and my mask on. What a rib that was! I'm walking down the <laughs> it was busy as hell, and the cars are honking at me. Bob, you're a bank robber. You're this. You're that. I'm thinking to myself, and I was I wasn't really embarrassed. I was just kind of ignoring it. So I get into the damn to the office, and I knock on the door, and Charlie Lay, the guy that works the office, was one of the old timers, comes and says, "Hey, Frank, can you just go in that dressing room and sit down? The guy should be here in a few minutes." What a rib! They showed up at twelve thirty. <laughs> I paced that, that dress room back and forth and back and forth. Well, 1230, first guy that shows up is Dory Funk. And I, I had learned in the business, when these old timers come in, you get up and you let them sit down. Yeah. So Dory came in and said, hey, Dory, how are you? Bye-bye. I said, please sit down. He goes, no, you're so okay. I said, no, please sit down. And he sat down. And I go, he goes, well, I want to sit where you're sitting. Well, he was ripping because every time I sat down in the seat, he wanted to sit there. And he was just <laughs> ripping me. And I didn't realize it. Anyway. That's how I got my start. And then, and then I guess a couple of weeks have gone by. And the very first taping that I did on TV was with Pistol Pez Wadley and Larry Hamilton. They were working as a PYT, the Pretty Young Things. And Percy Pringle III, who, who, who managed the Young Taker, was their manager. Right. And I was on spot on that first match, like seven minutes on, on that Wednesday. And Eddie Graham came up to me, the guy who, who was a promoter of wrestling, because, kid, I'd like to use you. I want you to come back every Wednesday now for the next couple of months and I'm going to sign you. And I thought, there is my break. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a bunch yeah, of twists. So, so a, week, a week or so had gone by and I went to that TV taping the following Wednesday. He goes, I need you at Miami tonight. And I said, are you serious? So then I left that taping. I went home, 
took a shower. I mean, we could shower there, but I went home, grabbed something to eat, and got my car, and drove to Miami, 280 miles. And I worked, you know, some some opening matches, but that's how I got my experience. And then I was there for a couple of months. He said, how'd you, how'd you like to go to your first territory? No problem. Well, a couple of months have gone by, and they called Kevin Sullivan and Bob Roop in Atlanta, and that's when they were working for uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and got me yeah. booked, and that was my first territory I went to. Unbelievable. So, so many twists yeah. and turns have taken place so early on for you oh to, to, to have to you know, go from uh, <laughs> mowing the lawn of Don Morocco and then all of it, a sudden you're, you're, you're training exactly. with the great Malenko and then it's just bing, bang, boom. All of a sudden now you're being sent to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, it, how was that experience going there? Well, that experience is good. However, I was very green when I got there and I was always opening match. I did a lot of jobs for guys, but I learned well there because I never forgot what the great Malenko taught me. And his boys, Dean and Joe, when I tell you, were God-sent brothers to me. Those guys, when they get in the ring with you, they told you, oh, we want you to do one thing. We want you to pay attention to us. If you don't pay attention, we're going to make you pay attention. And I'll tell you what they did. If they called a spot and you didn't do it, they would take you down that quick and take their index finger through your trunks and stick your damn finger in your ass. <laughs> and, you, and I'm not kidding you, to embarrass you. Yeah. And they did that several times to me. And either you're going to learn are you going to continue to get this humiliation? Yeah, so, shit. Oh, my God. But when I tell you those guys, and to, this, to this very day, those guys, um, as a matter of fact, we had a luncheon here that we do every every um, 90 days. It's, it's a Legends luncheon. A lot of the guys will show up. You know, oh, cool. Brian Blair, Steve Carr, Bugsy McGraw, all those guys are, are, are 70 years old now. And, you know, we'll talk about old times and stuff like that. And, this, and, 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 the, and the Malenko. So Jody Malenko is the oldest son. He's now yeah. a sheriff deputy. He, he was auxiliary, but he became a sheriff deputy. So, and he sees me and I said, you're embarrassing. He goes, look at you. You just turned 60 October and you look better than all these guys here that are 30 years old. I said, well, I appreciate the comment. <laughs> and he's always very, when I tell you, very humble and very kind to me. And his brother, Dean, oh my gosh. I think, if I'm not taking Dean's an agent for WWE, that when I would see him, you know, he's always very, hey, Frankie, how are you doing, brother? They were never one of these guys that would shake your right hand and stab you at the left. They're extremely cordial and true to true to heart guys right it's cool. appreciative in this business absolutely um, you've got to get that respect you know you give respect you get it back uh absolutely I, I wanted to ask you about the great malenko and, and and what you learned most from him before we uh continue with more talk about georgia i learned any any and everything that i know come back from the basics is what i learned from him and then as i became a worker Oxmaker told me in Georgia Championship Wrestling, Frankie, you're going to make more money as a heel and you're going to learn a lot more. So your next territory you go to, if you can, let them know whenever you get booked that you'd like to be a heel. Well, lo and behold, um, I was in, I think I was in Atlanta maybe four months. And then right before the Christmas break at that time, let's think it was 1980. I think it was 1984. Uh, the, the wrestling business was shut down from the 20, the 15th of December until the 25th. And they'd always had that, that Christmas night show, wherever it was in, in the United States, whatever territory you were, it was a Christmas show. Oh, right. Well, I got, I got unbeknown to me. I got my notice on the 15th of December and I was married to my first wife. And there's a place that the boys stayed at called the Falcons rest in Atlanta. It was a small, um, efficiency apartment deal where there was like 15 or 20 units that all the boys did that miss bell knew the boy so she she would never charge you a deposit as long as you didn't trash her place and you could come and go as you please if you had a two months stay there she let you stay for two months and wouldn't charge you any more money but she was really a godsend to the boys because she worked with them but she always had 
you know, it was always turnover because she always was get, getting paid and she never didn't get paid. So I, I came home that night on the 15th and told my wife I'd got my notes. She goes, Frankie, what happened? I said, no, that's just the nature of the business. It's okay. But right. I, I got booked in Charlotte. They said, we got you a spot in Charlotte with Dusty. So lo and behold, I go home, go home for the Christmas holidays. And on, I think it was on Christmas, uh, Christmas Day, I get a call from the Crockett's. I can't remember who it was that called me. They said, Frankie, blah, blah, blah. You know, yes, you, we heard about you. Um, you can start, but you're going to start in January. I think it was I don't know, the first week of January or whatever. So my, at the time, my wife, my wife I was married to at that time said, okay, that's fine. Um, so they told me where to go. They, I wrote down the information, you know, about getting the apartment stuff. So we drive them to Charlotte, which is about 600 miles from Tampa with a U-Haul, get up there. Lo and behold, they had gotten me confused with a, so the, there was an old time wrestler named Frankie Lang. And I did oh, not really? know this. Yeah, I did not know this. Anyway, at the time, Dusty had hired me, and I had a few bookings a week, but I thought when I went up there, I was going to be able to get, um, you know, booked full-time, which they were, at that time, they were wrestling every single night of the week. Right, of course. There was no break. There was no breaks. The only break you had was if you were off on, on a certain day, but you worked seven nights a week. And the only time you were ever off was Christmas on December 15th to the 25th. That's the only time, time you had off because that's how they build angles at, during back then. Yeah. You know, and Dusty asked me who trained me. I told him the great Blanco. He said, well, you have probably one of the best teachers that you could have had in this business. Um, and he said, but unfortunately, is I don't have I don't really have any room here. I'll try to keep you as busy as I can. I just don't have a lot of room for you. So when I got to Charlotte and after the first couple of weeks, I had to get a construction job because I couldn't pay my bills. Yeah. Because I wasn't working that much. Right. And then Dusty said, well, let me see if I can make a phone call for you. So he made a phone call for me. He called Wahoo. Wahoo was, was, was said, I can probably get him booked in San Antonio. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah. So I told my, 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 the first wife I was married to, hey, I, I, I'm going to have to put in my nose because we're just not making it here. She said, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're going to go to San Antonio, Texas. She said, are you kidding me? I said, oh, no. She gosh. Said, we don't have the money to, to, to go. So what I had to do was, when I got my nose about a week before I before I left, I was going to a, the last TV taping, and I got in an accident. I hit a car in the back in the back end uh, in my car on uh, the way to the TV taping. A lot of the boys stopped saying, "Hey, are you okay?" Yes, I'm fine. I'm gonna have to have my car towed. Just let them know I won't be at the show. I can't go. So the wrecker towed the car back to my apartment. I had to pay the wrecker. When I tell you, I was I was living on nickels. I, there was times that my first wife. Would not eat so I could eat. I mean, it was tough. Now I did have a construction job and I was making money to that, but I was able to pay my apartment rent, my electric, gas, blah blah blah. But there just wasn't a whole lot left for anything else. Shit. So we we're, were we're basically starving. So when I told Dusty or Wahoo um, that I'd like to go to San Antonio, but I can't afford to go. I don't have the money. Well, lo and behold, he goes, "What? What's your start date?" And, and I told him, and. I guess word had got out, and a lot of the guys I had become friends with, um, or you know, acquaintances with, because I didn't really call them friends, I didn't really know them. But I think they felt bad for me, and there was a couple of guys that went over, and Wally said, Frankie, before you leave today, I want you to stop by my house. So I said, he doesn't, don't bring your wife with you. So I went over there, he said, look, let me tell you how this business goes. You're going to have to improve your work, and I can get you booked. But being that you're so green and dusty, there was a... a, 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 a Somehow a mistake with your name. And we thought you were Cowboy Frankie Lang, uh, the midget guy. 
They had got me oh my gosh. Yeah. So I thought to myself, oh, and, and, and I kind of got aggravated and I was kind of, I was kind of down. I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. I'm having to put up with this and put, you know, my wife through this. And she says, no, Frankie, I'm going to back you 100%. You got to do what you got to do. And Wahoo gave me $150. And a couple of the other guys were there and said, hey, what's going on? And they, and he told them the story and they reached in their pockets. And that I le- when I left Wahoo's house, I had like $600. Wow. Which that's I, such when a- I got there, I don't think I had $20 or $30. Yeah, which enabled me to be able to get a trailer, move to San Antonio, get my car towed back to Tampa, where I went back with my wife at the time, and we got the car towed. I I, I rented one of those dollies where you put the front of the car up on and you yeah. pull it with your other car. Well, because my wife had a car at the time too. We had two cars. One could I could travel, and then she could you know do whatever she had to do. And then we towed the car home, got it fixed, and then from there we uh, I got the car fixed, and we went to San Antonio. And I worked for uh, Joe Blanchard um, in San Antonio. So I got there at the time. Um, Joe Blanchard was booking, but but uh, Mark Lewin, maniac Mark Lewin, who yeah. was the purple haze here as well, he was booking the territory, and he really he really liked my work. Um, you know, gave me a lot of confidence. And I met a guy named Wildcat Wendell Cooley, who was there. Well, I think we were there in San Antonio maybe six weeks, eight weeks, and. Wendell was talking to me, Wildcat was talking to me on the, we live in the same apartment complex. He says, hey, Frankie, do you want to leave? I said, Wendell, I just got here. I don't, I'm not really in a position where I can just keep jumping from territory to territory. You know, he goes, but you're going to learn. So this is the part of business. We have to do this. And he hadn't been in the business any longer than I had. But we got a call from Bill Watts, or actually from Bill Dundee, who was booking for Bill Watts and said, hey, I'm sorry, that was my house phone. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So Bill Dundee had said, hey, do you have somebody that can come here? Um, we need some, you know, some enhancement guys. You guys will work full time, but we'll just start you out at $1,000 a week. And he said, I said, are you kidding me that he offered us that? And to get $1,000 a week back in 1986, 87? Yeah, that's huge. For all you eat guys, that was gold. I said, hell yes. So what we did was, Myself and Wildcat, well, he, he wasn't exactly in the same complex, but just down the street from me. So his wife moved in with my wife, and he had two kids. And she said, he said, okay, we'll, we'll, let's go ahead and move, Frankie. We'll, I want you to come over to the house, help me move. Donna can move in here. We'll take the kids home. When, we, when I take the kids home, I'll come back, and you and I will go to Louisiana together. And Donna and Violet can stay together. And when, we, when they get ready to leave, we'd already gotten the, the – um, movie company to come to, to come move the, the, the girls and move the stuff out and 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 we'll meet in Louisiana and you and I'll find a place and keep them here till we get a, an apartment. So we were there a couple of days and we found we found an apartment in the same complex. They had their place and we had our place. But I think we were we were there for I don't know a couple of weeks and they allowed us, you know, three or four days to go back to San Antonio and get our wives, which at the time was I don't know from San Antonio to, to Baton Rouge. I, I don't remember how far it was, but we were able to drive there after the show, get the girls, get the trailers and come, and come on back. And then we moved there. And ever since Bill Watts had given me the opportunity and was, you know, letting me work. Then after we left San Antonio, when I kind of split up, I went to Tampa to work. I had a chance to come back home and Wendell went uh, to Pensacola to work for the Fullers, which that was his place. And then, from there, we just branched out and did stuff, and we did stuff together in a lot of territories. And, when, and then he quit the business and was out for a year or so. And he called me one day and said, hey, 
I want to get back into business. Can you get us booked in Puerto Rico? Because I already done, I had already right. done a stint there. So I said, let me make a call. And I did. And when I was there the first time, I was working, mid, you know, opening to mid-card. But I had learned a lot at that time. And they and, we, and I called Carlos Cologne and told him who I was. And he saw some tapes of me. He goes, we're going to put you guys on top as a tag team. Wendell and I had come up with the gimmick called the Heartbreakers. Right. Apollo and Adonis. Apollo and Adonis. Yeah. And that's and then from there, it was just it, it bloomed and we were able to make a living for 20 plus years. Of course. Now, did I make a killing? Um, I didn't make a killing. No, but well, I had several trips to Japan, which I made very good money at. I was able to feed my family, pay my bills. Didn't really save a whole lot, but I was able to exist and get along and, and learn and learn and learn and learn. So um, I wanted to uh, before we got to Puerto Rico and stuff, I want to bring you all the way back um, to, to Continental Championship Wrestling. Um, I had a, had a few questions about your time there. Uh, I sure. understand that while you were there, you had the chance to work with Dirty Dutch Mantel uh, and sure Billy Graham. I just wanted to know what it was like working with those two. Um, I didn't work with Billy so much. I worked with Dutch a lot. And when I tell you Dutch is a master of the ring, he reminded me a lot of Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong had a drop kick that looked like it tore your head off. And it was no more than me touching my pinky on your index finger as to how hard he would hit you. It looked <laughs> like he tore your head off. And Dutch Mantel was so scientific in the ring. He said, listen to me. And I do some stuff for him. And I remember, you know, from from Jody, from Jody Malenko sticking his damn finger in my damn ass and you got to pay attention. And as you go on, you learn more. You learn to keep your mouth shut and listen and don't be such a damn airhead if you're going to make it in this business. And I've learned that. And when I got in the ring with Dutch, he would make things so damn easy on you. It was, he was very gracious to me when he didn't really have to be. Um, but I didn't go into, I went into Continental um, underneath to mid-card and I had worked a lot of matches with Jerry Stubbs. Yes, I was going to um, ask about Mr. Perfect Jerry Stubbs and your uh, work with him over the NWA Alabama title. I watched a match of yours with him earlier today um, and you got like this big surprise win over him, which I guess yes. started off an angle. It, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what that's what kind of, if you want to say, that kind of launched me into going from, from mid-card to more main event status because I had really paid attention. I was taking this business very serious and I was bound and determined to make myself go further than I don't care what people thought I could do. Yeah. I was determined to make myself go. Well, so from, from Continental, um, I got booked with the Jarrett's. <clears throat> Wendell Cooley got me booked in, in Tennessee with, with uh, Jerry Jarrett. Yeah. And I was mid-card there. Wendell was mid-card to main event. Um, we didn't work tag team until we went to Puerto Rico. And after we went to Puerto Rico, um, I went to uh, – the first time, I got booked with the Von Erics. And I met Eric Embry in Puerto Rico. Eric Embry, when he went and, – and, and so me, myself and Eric Embry tagged in Puerto Rico together before Wendell and I did. And Eric became the booker with Gary Hart with the Von Erics. And he called me in Puerto Rico. And I left Puerto Rico and went to the Von Erics. And Eric and I were on top. And, and we, were, we worked programs with, with um, Kevin and Brian Adidas uh, with the Fantastics, with Tony and Tony Atlas and, and, and Skip Young. Yeah. I mean, we had a array of tag teams, but we worked on top. We were usually semi-main event. And I learned so much working with different people, you know, and what a pleasure it was to work with those guys. Because, you know, not the Fantastics or, or that, but uh, Skip Young was an undercard here in Tampa when I was a kid. But I always thought, you know, he, he threw a beautiful drop kick, and he was a pleasure to work with. Tony Atlas also, you know, there's a lot of guys that I work with that I used to watch as kids, 
and you'd be surprised, or a lot of the guys would be surprised what you can learn off these older guys. I don't care how old they are. They have a lot of knowledge in their head. If you'll just listen to them and don't try to be a superstar, they can make you do things you never thought you could do. Right, yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, it, 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 as, as, a, as a, a person that's got knowledge as a baby face, and you can go in the ring as an experienced heel, and I give my accreditation to Ox Baker because I made more money, as he told me, as I was going to be a heel. I made twice the money as a heel as I did a baby face. But because coming from Tampa and you're in your hometown, who doesn't want to be a baby face? <laughs> yeah. You know, I want, I want to be able to have the attention that Don Morocco got, Steve Kerman and Mike Graham got as, you know, as tag teams. I mean, from Tampa, Florida, 230 pounds, Frankie the Thumper Lancaster, who didn't want to be on top in Tampa and, and be your hometown hero? You know, I came from Chamberlain High School at that time, and the guys that I told you I met at the wrestling school, they were in Chamberlain High School. There was I, – I could be very wrong on this. When I started the business in 83, there was probably one in 10,000 guys that would make it at that time. Of course, yeah. And, 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 and my mom had six of his kids, five boys and a girl. I was the youngest kid. I spent six years in the military. I was honorably discharged. My oldest brother spent three years in the Marine. Well, he was, had a four-year stint, but got shot, and he was medically released from the Marine Corps. But the other three brothers and my dad were dishonorably discharged. Right. So for me, coming from a high school graduate, and as skinny as I was, to go into the military and be an honorably discharged and make it into pro wrestling, no brag, nothing but complete work. I went from literally rags to riches, whatever my riches were. I mean, my, my parents had money to feed us. We had clothing. We had a roof overhead. We didn't have air conditioning in our house until I was a senior in high school. And they could just run it on, on the weekends because they couldn't afford it with six kids. Yeah. They did the best they could. There's a grocery store. I'll give you a little example of how tight times were. My mom would make a meatloaf for us kids for dinner. And times were so scarce, she'd have to put cereal in there to make that meatloaf expand. Right. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and there's a, uh, a a grocery store here in Florida called Win Dixie. It's a good grocery store, as Publix is, Publix grocery store. But I never thought the day would come that I would ever be able to have a bottle of Coca-Cola Coke or Pepsi and not Win Dixie check drink. All right. <laughs> I mean, we always had to buy. We had to always buy the lower end stuff. Again, yeah. we we always had food and clothes, but becoming a wrestler made me appreciate times I thought I'd never have. Of course. Yeah. You know, and, and we didn't have, and I told myself, I, you know, I've worked, busted my ass all my life. When I become an adult, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a big drinker. I'm going to have air conditioning. And, and I do, you know, and we, and, and that's, that's one of the luxuries. That's, that's all I ever wanted. You appreciate I, you know, those simple wanted, things later in life when you didn't have. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, excuse me. It chokes me up. I understand, bro. To came from what I was when I was when I was a kid to now. Yeah. Oh my god. It put it, it, you know, in, in, in the life that I have now, I've been with her for 21 years. Yeah. And she's helped me raise my five-year-old daughter. I'm extremely blessed and I take a lot of things for granted, but I'm extremely grateful. For the break that I got in life, I absolutely. Could have followed my dad's, I could have followed my dad's footsteps and my siblings, but I chose not to. Yeah, it was very hard, but I was determined to to, to be what they weren't, and I succeeded. That you should be very proud, sir. I, I'm, I mean, I'm you, sorry. You, I'm, you, I'm you, this but, way, but that's okay. I'm sorry that I'm like this. I, but no, I it's fine. 
I, I had I had a, a chance to make it, and I did. You did, and you worked very hard to get there, and you don't get there without that hard work, and you should be very and proud. I wanted to thank you for I wanted to thank you for that compliment that you that you had mentioned in one of your texts, I think, to me or to Mike that you thought I was a, a superhero in wrestling. When I tell you that's one of the best compliments I've ever had in my life, I greatly appreciate that. No problem, man. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, this guy looks like a superhero. This guy's. And, and, I, and I remember doing when, when WCW had been bought out by Vince McMahon and I was doing some independence and Alex Porto, who used to work with the pug, he and I tagged after Wendell and I uh, split up in Puerto Rico and Wendell came back home and he quit the business for many years. And Alex Porto and I were tagging and we did a show in Lakeland at the Civic Center and sold it out. And I think I was, I just turned 60 in October of this year. I think I was probably 40, 43, 44. Yep. I tell you, I was in the best shape of my life. And Stan Lane was doing the TV that night in Lakeland and the house was sold out. And Alex and I were working with, I, I don't remember, I, they were a form of the Hollywood Blondes, but maybe, uh, or they called themselves the Blondes, whatever it was. I didn't know who the, the guys were, but they were great talent. But Stan Lane said, I have seen this guy grow up in this wrestling business, and I want you to look at him. He doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body. And the way he put me over, oh, my God. I would never thought I'd get compliments the way that I get. And I, and I still get that to this day. I'm not bragging, but it makes me feel so good. that I, My day starts at 3 o'clock in the morning to this day. I've been yep. going to the gym 43 consecutive years. Yeah, Mike told me all that. My face shows my age. My body doesn't. And a lot of people say you're the most disciplined person we ever met in this business ever. And I hear that from everybody in the world. My wife tells me, I don't know how you have it, Frankie, to keep going. Well, the 21 years I've had with her, it's a blessing because, you know, as an athlete, you have so much opportunity in life to do things you shouldn't do. And traveling the world in the wrestling business or if you're a football player or a baseball player, you have opportunity. It doesn't make it right. But when you have yourself in that superstar status, you think it's okay. You're going to do it. You're not going to get caught. Well, sooner or later, everything comes to an end. Yeah. And we've had our problems, but when you get somebody to stick by you for that long, especially in this business and put up with the shit that we've given them, yeah. they're worth their weight in gold. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I know exactly where you're coming from. I've I'm made so a lot sorry, of... I'm like, I... Hey, you don't need to apologize. I'm sorry, I'm like this, but I just, I, you know, when you have an opportunity to, to tell the world your story and they can listen and appreciate it, you have to be honest. Absolutely. You've probably been the most honest person we've had so far because uh, we've never had someone bear their soul the way that you have right now. And I really appreciate the fact that you're doing that. You know, and I, I met Mike Moran. I met Mike Moran in Puerto Rico when he was the Texas hangman. And that was, I'm going to say the first time I met him was about 30 years ago. And he had seen me in the wrestling, in the, in the dressing room yelling at one of the Puerto Rican guys for messing up a couple of spots or whatever. And I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't have gone off on the guy the way I did, but I was trying to get his attention like they used to do me when I was green. Yeah. And I remember from that day on, um, when I left Puerto Rico before I left, Mike and I had got together, uh, Mike Moran, 
And when I tell you, he's one of my best friends in this business. He bought me a, a, a World's Gym t-shirt, a purple one, you know, as a, as a, a goodbye gift. And I still have that t-shirt that I my bag to this very day all I do the season of it I still have that and he and I are best of friends that's cool man I'll he's a great a guy he's a great he is, guy I'll take a bullet for him. I think I think he and I since the interview I had with him we've spoken every single day since then he he talks extremely high about you and he's one of the best friends I could ever have in this business if I ever needed something from him I could call him at three o'clock in the morning he'd be there for me and then this business that's extremely few and far between yeah, I've always heard you can always only count the amount of real friends you have on one hand. It's the truth. In this business, it's the truth. You, know, you can have acquaintance, you know, in the world, but who are your true friends? Your true friends are when you need them the most in life, when you're, in, when you're down in the dumps That's and, it. You're, and, 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 you're, and, and you're dying, so to speak, and they come to your help with no hesitations. Frankie, it's going to take me an hour to get there, but I'm going to get there for you. You know, yeah. well, I'm sorry, I can't. The kids are sick. The wife will get mad at me. I'm, you know, I don't have any gas in my car. Whatever the excuse is, Mike and I have never been like that with each other. And whenever I see him, I hug him like he's my brother. Because yeah. he is. Um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to really talk a lot about Puerto Rico and your time there, but uh, I did want to talk about USWA a little bit and um, some of the guys that you got to work there. Uh, from Jeff Jarrett. When you say Dundee. USWA, do you mean as in with the Von Erichs? Uh, or or Jarrett. I think Jarrett. Okay. My, my run there was okay. Um, I was there on two different occasions. I think I was there six months at each time. I never really, uh, they, they never really involved me in programs there. I mean, I got the opportunity to work, but I didn't really get involved in programs there because there was several times they used me as baby. Several times they used me as a heel. So I think it was kind of undecided on how they wanted to use me. Right. And, each time that they that they did that, I got the hit. I just went ahead and gave my notice because I wasn't going to be abused like that. Yeah, yeah. I think in this business, if you don't make up your mind and you can see what they're doing, there's got to be a time in being in this business for as many years as you've been in, if you've been that long, and they're not using you right, that's just writing on the wall. You should know it's time to go. I know exactly about that because I was uh, doing professional wrestling here in Perth, Western Australia, 10 years ago. And the first oh, wow. six months I was there, uh, the angle that I did with this guy, Mike Massive, is probably 500 pounds. I was, geez, 150 pounds soaking wet. Uh, we had this tremendous feud. And then once it was done, the people in charge were didn't know what they were doing. And it was just, I saw the writing on the wall. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of a product that I don't agree with. And sure. you're not doing the job properly. So the writing was on the wall and I left. And you know what the sad thing is, though? You mentioned that? The people that you talk to, the higher ups, respect you for that. They're never going to tell you that, though. Yeah. That's what's sad. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And I, and, and, and I can appreciate you doing what you did because if you don't stick up for yourself, who's going to stick up for you? You got to be able to man up sometimes. Say, you know what? This is not for me. I'm not going to put myself in this position. And they do respect that. And probably if you came back later and said, hey, blah, 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 you've got more experience now, blah, blah. They'd say, you know what? You got out at the time it was good. You weren't doing this here. Let's try this. Or you can say, hey, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do this here. I'm, you know, you're not going to use me as ground beef anymore. I've exactly. learned experience. I deserve that. Yeah, 100%. Because I knew, I knew my worth. I knew that I was good at what I did compared to the guys good that were you. there before and me. you earned it too. 
I did. I worked my butt off and it still wasn't appreciated. They still wanted to control what I was doing because they knew what I was doing was working. So they wanted to put their hands on everything I was doing and that started to ruin it. So I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Uh, And, but I'm happy that I at least did it for a little while, you know, two years in total, I was a professional wrestler, but I was a weekend warrior that wrestled once a month, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. I got to do something that I never thought I I would. I, I ask myself a lot of times, and, and, and my wife that I'm with now, I don't know. I, I think a lot of times because it, this is probably elementary or, or maybe I'm just using it as an excuse. I think a lot of times, and all they have to do with me, just like they did with Dale Wilkes, the, um, the uh, Patriot. The Patriot, yes. I had a mind blank. He tagged with Marcus Magwell in WCW. And we worked, I worked with them many yeah. times with Mark Starr. And Mark Starr and I were very close friends also. But as a baby face in this business, my belief is you have to be a good looking guy to be a baby face. You can have a good looking body, but if your body is mediocre, but your face is good looking, you have a nice hair and stuff, they'll do more with you. But my face was more of a heel, and I understand that. But if they didn't like it and want to use me baby face, all they had to do is ask me to wear a hood. And I'd have done that. Yeah. But I think that's what stopped a lot of things because and I could I, I could have been a heel. But I think also too, I spoke up too much. And maybe I shouldn't have, but I wasn't going to have somebody run my destiny when I knew what I was capable of doing. 100%. And, and I think Puerto Rico, from what I've read and, and from the match that I saw earlier, I mean, I saw this match that you and um, the, the Heartbreakers had with, uh, uh, I think it was Rex King and, and Ricky, Ricky Santana. Santana. This street fight street you guys fight? had. Yes. And was you had, fight? Yeah. yeah, you hung him with a chain after the yes. match and he was bleeding. Yes. Oh my yes. God, that's heat right there. When I tell you that, that uh, and Ricky Santana works here in Tampa um, at a car dealership. He's been there for about 19 years as a car salesman. And he goes to the Legends Luncheon. And what a, what, a, what a piece of talent he is. What a hard worker he was. Rex King has since passed away a few years ago from cancer. Oh, okay. And, and, and Wendell and I were married to Rex and, and, and Ricky in Puerto Rico. And when I tell you every house we went to, we were right underneath the Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra. Wherever house we went to, and us, so the, so the tag team plus um, – Fidel, the Cuban assassin, every house we went to, we sold out. Oh my God, the matches we had and the people, the tons of people that we pissed off in Puerto Rico. Those Puerto Ricans hated me and Wendell, but we did our job. And with Ricky and Rex, the matches we had, oh my God. Um, Some of the best matches. And when I tell you it was relentless and brutal, but in that that territory, they, they take this business very serious to this day. Yeah. Uh, Because when I saw what you guys did to them after the match, I was like, wow, like if they did that, if someone did that today, there would be complaints, you know, because of course there would. Yeah, yeah, I I don't even even know that they would allow that on a TV, maybe a house show, maybe not even because of of it being family friendly. I don't know that they would allow all that juice and the brutality that was in that. Of course. And hanging in with the chain over the top rope there was like, oh, you know, I have. in my car to this day, I have that very picture. I was yeah. wearing a yellow tank top and jeans yeah. and my weight belt, and one of those in the same thing. And and when we hung him over that, and we have Ricky there where his his hair got like this, his head is just full of blood. Yeah, I mean, he's got colors so damn bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Um, how did the idea? How, how, of- how did they how did they take those matches where you're from? How did they take that kind of match? Do they think it's brutal or how do they look uh, at that? Uh, well, 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 like, do you mean like local wrestling over here? Yes. Yes. Oh, they they don't do much like 
stuff like that. They don't do anything that's too that looks too confronting because they got a lot of kids in the audience over here. So oh. it's uh it's yeah, unfortunately we we can't see stuff like that over here because they got to be conscious of of those types of things. Um gotcha. because it, it can be hard to to continue to draw good money uh you know here in Perth, Western Australia for pro wrestling. They do their best, they're very good, they're very athletic guys, but um uh, I think the art of of drawing heat like that certainly isn't thought about uh, in in at least these companies. Gotcha. So, it, it, is there um, full time wrestling there, or only like events comes, or, or WWE, or? or- uh, for essentially in Australia, every state of Australia, there's a wrestling company, or at least several in their, their states. But those companies don't run several days a week. They will. Oh, gotcha. only- do like maybe one show every six weeks. Uh, okay. So during that time, they just spend that time training and and working on the next show and and you know putting that show together. Build, so you can't build you can't build angles doing that. I mean, they can build angles, but let's say they only put twelve shows together a year. You might only get to to work you know one angle for the whole year to blow off at oh the end gosh. of the year. Yeah, it's it's wow. certainly not a it will be amazing to be a part of something like that. That was a, <clears throat> at least a daily occurrence or a weekly occurrence, but it's just over here. You, you can't feasibly run a wrestling company even once a week because you will, um, you'll make your audience so small in doing that. Um, so if you do it once a month or once every six weeks, at least people have six weeks to save their money to buy a ticket for that show. So you might get wow. to two hundred people, maybe three hundred people, but that's still oh, pretty wow. good. Um, but that's just what happens here in Australia, unfortunately. But there's a lot of great wrestlers here. And you're, really. and you're born and ra- you're born and raised there. Yes, sir. Have you ever had the opportunity to wrestle in the states? No, I only ever wrestled here in my in my uh, my main city here in Perth. Uh, uh-huh. But I never really took it serious enough where I wanted to do something like that. I, I just did it for a couple of years, uh, gotcha. geez, 2010 and 2014. So um, I'm more of a, of a fan than a. What's, than what's amazing about you is your age and the knowledge that you have on the wrestlers and the amount of knowledge you have in the business is amazing. It's amazing. No, thank you're you. Like I appreciate it. You're, I mean, you're at your age, you're a historian. <laughs> I, Vince I could hire you. Vince could hire you to say, Hey, look, I know that match by, by hand, Vince. Let me commentate on that. You could do that. Yeah. I mean, oh my I, God, you are, you're, you're, you're the youngest historian in this business I've ever seen in my life. You should, I'll tell you one little story. Uh, in Perth, they had a, a, a wrestling quiz night. Uh, where you get together with a group of friends and you have a team name. And there was probably about 10 different teams on this quiz night. And uh, some teams had actual local Perth professional wrestlers in the teams and all that. The guy was asking the questions and halfway through the question, I was already writing the answer down. My team were like, we're going to win this because Carl's on our team. And lo and behold, won by a mile. We killed him. When, when Mike Moran had contacted me about this a couple of weeks ago, he said, Frankie, this is the most educated, youngest guy I have ever met that, that knows the stuff that this guy knows. I'm thinking to myself, hell, he wasn't even born when I was in the business. How old are you, you said, 24? I'm 33. Uh, oh, 33, okay. But still, to know what you know at that age, I can see I, – I don't, I, don't, I don't think you're a fan. I think you're one of the boys, but you're a historian. You took a lot of liking to learning the stuff – 
Hell, you could write a book. I probably could. I mean, I've, I've watched so many shoot interviews. I've watched every single wrestling documentary that's ever been made. I've, I've watched every... This is just how bad it is. I've watched every episode of WCW Worldwide and Saturday Night from 1995 to 2000. I've watched every episode, oh sat God. through hours of, of enhancement matches, of shows that went for an hour and a half where the main event was the only match that was competitive. And you, you knew who was winning the other matches because it was uh, a guy that you'd never seen before against a, a guy yeah. who'd been usually on Nitro or whatever. So I sit through all that just because I want to be able to say I've seen everything. Wow. <laughs> and for you to remember that, your, 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 your memory retention is just unbelievable, man. Gosh. That's oh, a, thank you're amazing. You. Sure, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Amazing, man. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know why, you know, people like yourself, which is far and few between at your age, that Vince wouldn't hire and say, you know what? This guy's a historian. There's things we could probably ask him that we can't find or we don't, we don't know. And you can give him the damn answer. Exactly. Well, I mean, hopefully in doing this podcast, I make enough contacts where I can uh, maybe uh, get a job there. But being in the most isolated city in the world. Oh, the podcast only since February. Um Oh, gosh. Because uh, of the pandemic, me and my friend Jack, who usually co-hosts with me, we just decided to try and, and do this together. And uh, I think we've got about 25 episodes in so far. And it's certainly been just like the most amazing thing I've, I think I've done. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, you, it, it, you, it, I mean I, I'll give it to you. you, you the thing, just by hearing you talk amazed me on what you know at your age. I mean, this is probably your life. Yeah, it's it's just unfortunate. I'm the most isolated city in the world, and uh, the knowledge I have can't be of use unless I'm on the other side of the planet. <laughs> well, you mark my word. I truly believe because if I ever had anybody ask me or I had an opportunity to mention your name, I'm telling you, I'd mention your name and I'd back you 100. percent If you ever come to Florida to the Tampa area, you're more than welcome to be at my house anytime you want. You're more than welcome. You're my guest. Awesome. No, I, that, that's, that's really appreciative. And if you ever want to make a trip to Australia, I'll cook up a nice Aussie barbecue for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, anyway, but enough of me. I don't want to talk about me. I'm here to talk about you and learn about you, Frankie. Um, okay. uh, again, back to Puerto Rico. I wanted to first and foremost ask, uh, how did you come up with the idea of the team, the Heartbreakers, with your tag team partner, Wendell Cooley? Okay, actually, Wendell came up with that. We, him, him and I had been talking for years on and off about doing this, about doing that. And I think he had, when we were apart, he had, he had thought of this because when he, when he got to sign with WCW, they were going to tag him and Al Perez together. Actually, they were going to tag him and Al Perez in Louisiana as town and country. Okay. But Wendell and I went to Louisiana hoping to get tagged together. But I guess with Wendell's long black hair and his blue eyes, and Al Perez, who's my neighbor, lives about three miles from me, and he he grew up with my ex-wife, the, the lady I was married to when I went to, to Charlotte and Tampa and went to Georgia, went to Carolinas and stuff. He was he lived right behind her, so they knew each other in high school. And Al and I became very good friends. But I guess because of both their long black hair and you know they appealed to the to the younger females, they they made up a tag team. But he said they were together for a month and they split them up. I don't know what happened. And then every, every territory that Wendell worked, I would come into, he and his, the, the mother of his children, um, I lived with him every, every, every territory that, we, that I went to. He always 
let me live with him. Um, or if, if I was married, my wife was coming, I could stay with him for six or eight weeks or whatever it was. Well, there was a time we were in, working with the Fullers and we were living in Montgomery, Alabama. I lived with him for several months. He always allowed me and never charged me a nickel. I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect anything for free because I, I paid my way there. But I mean, I'll tell you, he's the best friend I have in this business. I mean, the absolute best friend I have in this business. I just went and saw him um, about a month ago. I went to Bob Armstrong's funeral, the bullet, Bob Armstrong. Yes, yes. I went to his funeral and I flew to Pensacola for probably for me to drive there. It's, it's about the same distance as from Tampa to Pensacola as it is from Tampa to Atlanta. It's about eight hours. And my wife was able to get me a plane ticket for 240 bucks round trip. So I went ahead and flew it. Right. He picked me up from the airport. I stayed in the house for three nights. They fed me, they housed me, you know, whatever. And then he took me back to the airport on, on a Sunday morning. So he, him and I have a lot of history together. And there's, and there, and, and our, our work as a team are so, matter of fact, we're working with Continental Championship Wrestling again as we speak. We have been for the last couple of years. They run, I don't know, five, six shows a year. Yeah. And we're, we're back. Um, Ron Fuller, um, you know, used to own that territory. Yeah. And, um, Dennis Gale is the guy that owns it now, but we're, we're working together on the 12th of December at the awesome. reunion show. Yeah, at the reunion show. But one thing, I don't care how long we've been apart. If we're apart months when we get in the ring, our knowledge together clicks just like that. We never forget nothing. And yeah. when you have a tag team partner like that, that that's because you guys take it serious and we know what to do. You know, and if one of us, for whatever reason, doesn't feel, you know, that we're 100% that night, Whoever's feeling 100% is the one that's going to get the heat and give the guy a shot and the comeback. It's going to make a difference. But Wendell, he had stopped working out for 20 years. That's where I continued. So I'll let them get the heat on me because we work as heels now. Well, we were baby faces. They turned as heel. I'll let them get the heat on me and give him the comeback as a baby face and then go in and do his thing because I know he's not in the shape that I'm in. Yeah. But I still, I still, I don't want to tag with anybody else other than him. And if they didn't tag us together, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't work there because that's the deal I have with him. Yeah. And um, the the heartbreakers, uh, Adonis and Apollo. Uh, I, I don't have the date on me, but you guys defeat El Bronco and Invader One for the That's tag correct. team championships in Willemstad Curacao. Is that how you say it? Uh, Curacao. 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 I think Curacao yeah, which is, is in it, South is America. Right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so let me, t- let me, that must let me tell you great. about that. Let me, th- th- that's funny you mentioned that. So they had like. We, so we chartered two planes. Uh, Victor Javica, who is the one that owns WWC in Puerto Rico and has for many years, um, we ch- chartered two planes. And they had the heels on one plane and the baby faces on another. One of the planes that we took, I'm not kidding you when I tell you this, there was so much weight on that plane, the pilot asked us to lean forward so the plane could take off. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I tell you at that time, because we were, you know, still young enough and scared us. And then before he said to do that, they were out there fixing one of the planes we went to Trinidad, and oil was spewing from one of the from one of the wings. They took duct tape and taped that damn thing up and said, You guys are good to get to Trinidad. <laughs> and the oil's spewing everywhere. I mean, nothing's good. It's on one of those old DC three dinosaur planes. I'm not shitting you. <laughs> you want to experience that once you go to South America and do that. And there was only a couple hundred people there, which they were expecting a couple of thousand. Now, I don't know what happened. And, and, and isn't that funny about um, uh, Invader Number One? Whenever he got beat, it was never in Puerto Rico. It was always in another town. 
he didn't want me to beat and where the island he was from. Of course. <laughs> what, what a good guy. But I mean, and, and, and Bronco, what a good guy. Um, his English was limited, but through Jose being better number one, we could make a match and, and, and did stuff. But that 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 match was okay, but it wasn't the way one of I wanted to win. We wanted to win at one of the shows. Like on Sunday was their big shows. They, they usually run two shows. Um one across the alley and one closer towards home on a Sunday night. They'd run the first show at one o'clock and the second show at six o'clock on the island on Sundays. And when we sold out those shows, I mean, that's that's how we wanted to win the belts. Not in some country that was, you know, south of you two hours by plane <laughs> and you had to lean forward and take off because there was so much weight on the damn plane. And you get, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, and we ask him, why couldn't we beat you at home? Because that's the reason we didn't want you to be us at home because it looked better if you don't be us at home. <laughs> and, um, and, and then Wendell was going through some hard times with the family at the time and um, I don't know what happened but he got pissed off one night we were in a town and the guy was late for picking us up and the, the, the agreement was that because when I went I, I spent three tours there and each tour I spent there I made the, my, my agreement with Carlos Colon over the phone I never got with the booker because what the booker tells you there and what happens when you get there, there's two different things. Completely different, yeah. Every time I made my deal, I made it with Carlos Colon because I knew I was not going to get screwed by making it with him. Right. And there's a lot of times that the guys, they would pay on Sundays and Javika would come in uh, the dress room, you know, with paper clips and your number, on the, your, your name on the payoff or whatever your guarantee was. And many weeks in a row, He'd look at those local guys and say, next week, boys, next week. Meaning they're going to pay him because what it is, they live local on the island. And he didn't care if they quit or not, which I didn't agree with. They you know, were working their ass off and putting us over and blah, blah, blah. He should have paid them, but they always paid us. And one night they said, Carlos come up and told me, he said, Frankie, we're going to have to pay you guys tomorrow. And Wendler got pissed off and said, no, you're going to pay me now or I'm going to leave. And then he, when we got back to, the, to where we were at the apartment, he made plenty of reservations, left the next day, but Carlos came by in the morning and paid us, and Wendell still left, which left me in a predicament to where. Oh, Lord. Yeah. It, uh, that, and, and, and after that, he had quit the business for several years and then wow. got back in. Yeah. That's what that's what started me tagging with, with Alex Porto, because Alex Porto was underneath when Wendell and I were on top. And I would try to help Alex, you know, we hung out together, me and him and, and, and Wendell hung out together. And I tried to help him as much as I could. You know, being that he was green and just in the business and stuff. And then to this very day, Alex Porto and I are friends. And there's a lot of times that my wife and I will go there. We'll spend the weekend with him and his wife. They live in Orlando. Right. But, cool. Yeah, Wendell came up with that. When he came up, I guess when he took some time off, he came up with that uh, with that gimmick called the Heartbreakers. And he, he sent me a picture uh, in the mail of, of some vests that, we, that he wanted to get made and said, just get a glitter and make it a broken heart. We'll put heartbreakers. And I had a woman do that, that, that I had met that now that has since worked with Vince McMahon and, and uh, the, um, and as a seamstress and right. making big money with him for the guys, but awesome. whatever we needed made, I got whatever I got made for me, I got double and I'd always pay, pay it for, for Wendell. And then when he got the money, he, you know, we got work and we, he'd pay me back. Right. But, cool. Yeah, and then we had a chance when we left Puerto Rico to go to WCW, um, and we come up with a gimmick called Par Three. As golfers, we we wore knickers, a baggy <laughs> shirt, and my nephew was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think we named him Harold P. Finkelstein. 
<laughs> when I tell you we had look like a nerd, we had him buy. We went. To, we literally went to the Goodwill. My nephew and I went to the Goodwill. He had striped pants that he wore up to his underneath his boobs where the belt was. High waters, a plaid shirt, and some goofy glasses that were bent. Yeah. And called ourselves Par Three. So we went to WCW with that. They said, "Nah, it's not gonna really work." We weren't there gone a month, and they used that same damn gimmick on somebody else that they they took it from us. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we never got the opportunity to use it. And that didn't last them because I think um, what they were doing is they put it on some baby faces. But our, our thing was that thing would go better with as a heel gimmick. And so what we did is if we if we, you know, were heels and we pinned the guy, the agreement was we put the tea in their mouth, take a ball, a wiffle ball and hit that wiffle ball while it's in their mouth and the referee's out looking, which we would get heat for, you know, God figure and miss him and hit him in the face of that club. <laughs> but the club we had was a gimmick. It was, it was like cardboard. People never knew that. All right. And it was a wiffle golf ball. <laughs> so the guy had to lay there. If he got pinned, he admitted to be able to lay there with a tea in his mouth. We put a wiffle ball in there and we'll take a driver and hit that damn ball out to the, uh, to the fans. <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. But the people thought that club was real. It was cardboard. <laughs> Um, I understand uh, when you feuded with Ricky Santana, uh, you had a cage match. Um, Several cage matches. And we had also two, um, what's it called, scaffold matches. Right, because I can't find the matches anywhere. Oh, I want to watch them, but I couldn't find them. Um, okay, yeah. I, 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 and I, I don't have any, or I would send it to you. But we had scaffold matches that were, let's see, probably 15 or 20 feet high. And the deal That's was, scary. You, know, you always get the heel, you always get the heels over, you know, and and on TV and in the house shows, you get the baby faces over. But it came one night to the scaffold show where I think we we're in San Herman, and one of the guys that we had a scaffold match with, a, a, a tag team, he had taken a bump off and slipped and wound up doing a backdrop off that thing. It was about twenty feet in the air, and when he hit, his leg was bent. And he broke his leg. Oh shit. So they, I think they stopped the scaffold matches, but we had several with Ricky and, and Rex and those. And to where the scaffold was up so high, and the house shows there, they were they were they were called um, in La Cancha, which is uh, a basketball court with just an, uh, an awning over it, and you can see the bleachers. The buildings there were never covered unless it was a coliseum. It was always outside shows on basketball courts that were if they were, if they were in a uh, an auditorium, and the scaffold was up so high you could use the in the, in the middle where they have the, 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 the name of the team and the score. Yeah. We take each other's heads and bang it into that damn score, that scoreboard up there. That's how high it was. And oh, my juice, gosh. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could and, not know, do couple, that. I could not yeah, go that high. And, and, and a couple of times, you know, when I took bumps to where we would check out that scaffold before the marks, before the fans came in, and we come up with agreement, hey, let's take this, get Ricky Rex and throw us in the scoreboard, take a bump, get the juice, and roll off the scaffold. But the, the cross members of the of the scaffold went like this, fall into that, and the people you know come out of their damn seats. Oh my God, he's gonna fall twenty feet! But we practice that and catch onto that scaffold and hold on for dear life while oh. our face is full of blood. <laughs> oh my God! I, I mean, back then nothing scares we. We didn't care. We do whatever it took. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> but now, now I get nosebleeds if I go to the top rope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could never do it. I, I, I just had to climb a ladder the other day to turn off an alarm system at work because the alarm was broken. It wouldn't stop. And it wasn't that high off the ground and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Oh, you're afraid it. of heights? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Not, not, well, not, I mean, I understand. 
even when I'm watching TV and like they're looking down over a building or something like that, I go, whoa, and I'm sitting on my couch. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, as I have gotten older, for some reason, my wife even mentioned this to me. Um, there's a place here in Tampa called Bush Gardens. It's an amusement park. Yep. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't heard of it, no. Okay. Well, it used to be the Bush Brewery where they made Bush beer. But it's oh, an amusement right. Yeah, cool, cool. Yep. It's, 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 it's owned by... State Park is owned by SeaWorld. Um, it's not a Disney property, but it's, it's very huge. It's, yeah. it's It draws millions of people a year. Okay. And we would, and, and there's this ride. It's called the Falcon's Fury. So there's about, <laughs> let me think, three, six, nine, twelve, about 15 people in these. It's, it looks like a swing. Right. But it's got, you, it's got you harnessed in. It's a thing that comes down and you can't move it. So you go up 335 feet. Oh. <laughs> and, the, and the guy that's operating literally tilts you at, like this, at, Carl, at 90 degrees. Oh. You're, look, you're, looking down at, you're looking down at the ground. So a couple of years ago, my wife and my daughter and I went there. And it was, it was I was in the middle. My wife was on one side. My daughter was on the other. And they took us up. And when he pointed us down that vertical position, when I tell you I was so damn white knuckled, but that harness was on me. I think because of my size, I didn't think the damn thing was going to hold me. And I had my eyes closed praying to God, please don't let this thing open up. And I realized then, as, as I got older, I was becoming afraid of heights. Right. Okay. I'm not afraid to fly. I'm not afraid to fly. But if I get to a building, and I, I've got to a building, I get on the damn top of the roof and look over with no problem. Yeah. Now, I, I literally start shaking. It, it scares me that Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I understand. I mean, I remember when I used to... Years ago, 2007, I went to Europe and I took a plane ride and I was completely fine. Didn't even, didn't even bother me. All the plane rides I took back then. But then I went to Germany uh, two years ago and I was just holding onto my partner's hand. Anytime there was the slightest bit of tur turbulence, I just couldn't handle it. I've just, now I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of, afraid of heights. So for me, it's just very scary stuff. Did, did something happen where you had a bad experience at one time? No. It, that's the thing. I just don't understand what happened. It's just I hadn't been on a plane in a few years, and all of a sudden, the next time I was on a flight, I just couldn't handle it. And you know, it's it's just straight the strangest thing. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, but to answer that, make a try to make a long story short, that Wendell, Wendell came up, him and I came up with that um, uh, uh, Heartbreakers Apollo and Adonis, and then that Par Three gimmick. As a matter of fact, we went. When we figured out that that gimmick, him and I were talking back and forth because he's from Pensacola, which, like I told you earlier, was like the distance from Tampa to Atlanta. It's 450 miles. It's about the same as from Tampa to Pensacola. So Florida is shaped like a seven. Yeah. So Tampa's here in the center, and Pensacola's up to the top of Tallahassee and then straight up from the left, which is the next major town before Mobile, Alabama, where Florida almost ends. That's where he lives. Right. And my nephew and I and my daughter's mother that I was mentioning last night, I'm, I'm, I'm with my third wife, which I've been with 21 years. She's my entire world. But my nephew and I and my ex-wife would drive there several times, like when I had stuff made to make sure it fit. And we took our pictures to get ready for W7. We literally went to a golf course there in Pensacola. <laughs> and they had, they had gotten word of it. I don't know what news crew came out there, but I understand a news crew came out there and got pictures of us. But I, Wendell never saw it on the local news, and I never saw it here, so I don't know what happened. But we were going to go to WCW with that. And a lot of times in this business, when you have a gimmick, that, other than Vince McMahon creates one for you, but if you have a gimmick, you literally can't tell anybody because these guys 
well, it was then. They'd steal it from you if, if they thought they could make money on it. Oh, of course, I've heard yeah. that so many times. Your, oh my God, you had to keep your mouth shut, and nobody knew about that gimmick until we until we presented it to Eric Bischoff at WCW and told right. him what we wanted in return. We were asking for fifteen hundred dollars a week, and he thought that was ludicrous. Well, hell, we've been in the damn business at that time twenty years, so why couldn't we ask for that? Well, what do you expect on the contract? We told him we'd like fifteen hundred dollars a week to start out for the first year. Expenses paid, car rental paid, hotel paid. We'll pay for our food. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't, they didn't agree with that. And four weeks later, five weeks later, we see part three on TV with Chris Canyon, who's now deceased, yeah. and, somebody, and somebody else, which they would they never held more than an opening position on WCW. Right. I don't know why they gave it. I think because what it was is because they, they would pay those guys pennies on what we want. Of course, yeah. Take the gimmick and put it on someone who would do it for cheaper. There you go. That's exactly correct, Carl. Jesus Christ. Um, so I wanted to, I saw something in my research that I found interesting. 1993 in the WWF, you did a few matches there. Uh, from I don't know if this is correct or not, because sometimes the internet can lie to you, but you worked with the Bushwhackers, Virgil and the Predator. Yes. When I worked with the Bushwhackers in Knoxville. Okay. Yep. Is that, is that one of the matches you saw? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when, when we got there, um, you might be able to help me this because I've got a mind blank. Okay. Mike Enos, Mike Enos, and Wayne Bloom. Wayne Bloom. What was their tag team called? Uh, Minnesota something or other. Let me just check I'm, I'm, here. I'm, I'm pondering. Uh, oh, the Beverly Brothers. The Beverly Brothers, exactly. There yes. you go. So they originally were going to tag. Me and Wendell with the Beverly Brothers. Because right. we knew Mike. I knew Mike from Tampa because he lived here. Right. I, I knew him pretty good. And I didn't know Wayne very much, but Wendell knew of Wayne. And they were going to tag us against him, and then we were going to have a nice match. Well, something happened where um, this is what I was told by some of the guys. The Beverly Brothers thought you guys were coming in to take their job. So we're going to put you guys with the Bushwhackers, which we had no problem doing a job for. We didn't make a difference. We just wanted Vince to see our stuff. And um, George the Animal Steel was my agent here in Tampa. But right. he told me, you know, if you get a tag team partner, we, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take you guys to, to Knoxville and do TV for us. Well, they did. And he said, I'll, we'll get you guys a good match so you can prove yourself to Vince, see what you got. Yeah. Well, I think word had got out when Wendell and I got there that we were trying to take their place. We weren't trying to take anybody's place. We just wanted to earn a position. Yeah, of course. And we talked to Vince face-to-face saying, what can we do to earn a position? We'll have you guys work with the Beverly Bros to show us what you got. Well, that was, you know, when you have to go TV, you have to be there three hours early. This was right before we ate. We, we, we asked Vince if we could pull him to the side. And we and, and I think I think we were asking George. He said, just give me a few minutes. Frankie, you know how Vince is. Go over there, and if I can get him to give you guys a minute of your time, of time, We'll do it. So we were in the, we were eating, you know, in the buffet because they always gave the, the boys lunch and stuff before TV taping. They want you there three or three, three hours or five hours before to make sure you guys are on time. Yeah. So we get there, we get there to the arena in Knoxville, um, and we're we're sitting there with the Beverly Bros eating lunch. Yeah. Going over the match, got some good good shit worked out. They were going to give us like eight minutes or so, you know, of TV time on a, yeah. on a TV match, not a squash job, but a competitive match. Yeah. And something came up that. And when we talked to Vince, we said, we just, we don't, we're not here to walk anybody's shoes. We just want to be able to prove ourselves to you. 
Yeah. They said, you have to prove yourself to me because we know what you can do. We've seen tapes of you of blah, 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 blah. But I appreciate you telling me this, but we've changed about you guys are going to work, work with the Bushwhackers. Right. And we did a job for them. And Luke and Butch, I know that we both know very well. Luke and Butch, we met in San Antonio and Wendell knew very well. Um, and what was, there was another guy that used to work with Luke and Butch. Uh, you would know them from your, from your, your, aren't they from where you're from? Uh, I think they're from New Zealand. Okay, New Zealand, I'm sorry, New Zealand. But there was another guy that worked with them. Uh, anyway, um, Jonathan, hang on. John, does Jonathan Boyd ring a bell to you? Uh, it doesn't, but uh, I'm just going to... Jonathan, I, 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 oh, Jonathan was, Boyd, I, yeah, was, sorry, you're right. Jonathan Boyd. Yeah, so he, he when, I, when we got to, to San Antonio... He was the booker before there was a guy. There was a guy that was buying the territory. His name was Mark something. He was buying it from Joe Blanchard, and he was pushing the shit out of me and Wendell. Um, and Jonathan Boyd was his booker. That's how Wendell met him. And I, I don't know what happened, but they had us work with with the the, the Bushwhackers, and it was an easy match. You, know, you don't have to do a whole lot to get those guys over. Of course, but yeah. It, and, it just and Vince didn't give us that that shot that he told us he was going to give us. I don't know what happened, but word was out that we were trying to take a Beverly Brothers job. It's so and strange. I guess it? Vince heard that and thought, well, you're you're not going to come here and do that's that. That's a to strange, me. strangest rumor. Why would you specifically want their jobs? Like you want your exactly. own job for you, not someone else's right. and, job. And they were heels, and we were coming as heels also. And you know, as a matter of fact, we brought a heartbreaker gimmick there, and right before we went to the ring. I don't know if it was Tony Gurria or some. Who, who was the other agent at that time? Oh, uh, give me GJ a second. Strongbow. Pat. 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 Uh, Patterson. Pat Patterson. Yes, he said, "Take that shit off." And Wendell looked at me, and we looked at him. He goes, "I'm being serious. Take that shit off." Your our our, our gimmick, our vest, our, our heartbreaker vest. Is it because of the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels? Yep. I, I think that's exactly what it was. Right. Of course. <laughs> the gimmicks is stripped from you straight away. Unbelievable. <laughs> so that was that was uh and I had done I had been doing TVs uh for vents for about two years. I did house shows for him here in, in Florida. I mean if it yeah. be it was if it was Jacksonville, Fort Lauderdale, whatever it was, I did several um house shows for him that even were on TV tapings. And I, I mean I George Ample Steel was my was my contact and they would pay me like four hundred bucks to go to the to the towns because I drive. They said, Frankie, we'd fly you, but if you just drive, I'll pay you this amount of money. So no problem. Right. I mean, I, I'm driving 150 miles, 175 miles, and you're paying me 400 bucks. Come and do my three, four, five, six minute match and get the hell out of there. Go home. Right. So that, that, that was fine. But anyway, that I hope that answered your question as far as the uh, – the WWF thing's concerned. WWF. Yep. So um, I believe from there, uh, after doing a little stint there in the WWF and working house shows and, and the Bushwhackers and all that and things not working out, uh, you go to WCW. How did the opportunity come about to go to WCW? And I believe your debut was a match against Lord Stephen Regal on Worldwide. Yes, and what a piece of talent he is. Oh, my Absolutely. God. Absolutely. I, mean, yeah. I mean, a master of the ring. Um, so Mike Graham was an agent for WCW, which yeah. I don't know. You, are you aware of Mike Graham? Yes, he I've seen a few away, interviews. He passed, of his. Several, he passed away a few years back. He he's the one that promised me my opportunity when I wanted to get in this business when I was selling cokes at the Armory in Tampa. Yeah. And after I got my foot in the door, and he remember I told you about the sportatorium and me going yeah. there on that Wednesday. So um, he became an agent for Vin, for Ted Turner, and 
whoever whoever talent was in Tampa, we had to report to him, Mike Graham. So WCW came about, and Mike was looking for some guys to to start TVs. Uh, to, since Ted Turner was going to go, I guess since he went syndicated or whatever he did. Yeah. And then he called myself. He called Mark Starr. He called Mike Moran. He called several of us. I've been probably been twenty five or thirty of the guys. Barry Horowitz. The list yeah. goes on and on and uh, on. A total influx of guys that. Uh, That's came right. At the same time. And, yeah. and, and and Barry and uh, Mike Graham and Steve Curran, you know, also remember us when they started when Dusty left to go to the Carolinas and. Mike and Steve opened back up Tampa. They figured, well, you know what? We're going to get the hometown boys, Mark Starr, Frankie Lancaster, uh, Jenny Brown, guys like that, Jimmy Backman, to, to work this territory because we, you know, we grew up here and got a star here. So they remember us from those days, you know, sticking through the thin and the thick. And they said, well, you know, when WCW comes, we'll get you guys, you know, hired there. And they sucked their work and got us hired. And then, right. you know, don't get me wrong, they used us for TVs, you know, KJ put us over. But because of our experience, it got their top guys over, and that that went a long way with Mike with, with Mike Graham, and he would remind um, whoever was booking. There, it could have been Jody Hamilton and Dusty at one time. Eric Bischoff was was uh, you know there were several people helping with the book there, but they would never let that I can remember. You you might see no differently. I don't I remember having to do a slaughter on. WCW, except for one time I was going out to work with a guy. I can't remember his name. And they were pushing, they tried to push, um, God, what's his name? Scott Norton. Right. This is when they were doing a thing with Goldberg. And Scott Norton came out and interfered in my match with the kid that I was working with. They were going to put me over. And Scott Norton came out and did a powerbomb on me, did a powerbomb on the kid, and they disqualified the match. That's as far as the squash show, that's the only squash show I ever did. On WCW, it was always actual matches where I, I tagged a lot with Mark Starr as baby faces, and we got our, our stuff. We got to do our stuff. Um, we did program, you know, a lot of matches with um, Stevie Ray and and, and and Booker T. Yeah, they were the Harlem Heat. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that was Mike Graham's responsibility for get, giving back to me and Mark for sticking with him through the through the hard times. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I, I've heard a lot about Mark Starr too. He seemed like quite a, a fair. A very talented performer. He, uh, he was, and they, another they, guy that didn't get us. his due in the business. Yeah, they 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 tagged us quite a bit, and um, unaware of me, when he passed, he'd had a heart attack, and his wife um, had told me that when he, as long as we were together, we were on the road, Mark and I stayed together, just like Wendell and I stayed together. There's nobody else that Mark would room with other than me. I don't care who, where he was at or where we were at, we always got the same room together. I trusted him. He trusted me. He knew that I wasn't going to play those damn games and something come up missing or whatever. Because a lot of times you get in these rooms with these guys, if you don't click with them, chances are you're not going to get along with them. Yeah. So, um, Luan told me that when Mark was in town, when we weren't doing, you know, we were working, hell, we were with WCW, we were working 20 days a month, sometimes 22 days a month, 25 days a month. And we weren't, we weren't home a lot. And when Mark would come home at night, he would eat a lot of junk after he'd eat his dinner. And I think that's what happened. It caused him to have his heart attack. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then at the time he had his heart attack, there's Jimmy Backlund was there at his house when that happened. No, Jimmy Backlund was just down the street 
I guess they hung out that day. And Mark's wife, Luana, called Jimmy and said, hey, Mark just had a heart attack. We had to call the ambulance, blah, blah, Jimmy went there, did CPR on him. He said, but they couldn't save him. And Mark passed. And I did Mark Starr's eulogy at, at, really? at the funeral. Yeah, he, he and I, he, I mean, other than Wendell, because Wendell wasn't here, I was Mark's best friend, and, and, and they allowed me to be his, uh, the person that did his eulogy. And I, I, I wasn't aware that the junk that he was eating probably contributed to him having his heart attack. Right. Which then, it, it, I don't remember how far, it wasn't too awful long, I think it was less than a year, that Jimmy Backlund, same thing with him. He had a heart attack and he passed away too. Really? And yeah, it, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it's sad. Um, I was frowned upon a lot of times throughout the years of the business that I was a square. Um, being that I was a square, I was raised in a drug addict family, an alcoholic family. I don't have nothing against it. I just didn't do it. Yeah. So if that's what you want to do, do that. But you could really, you should tell who you could depend on because if Mark and I were together and we wanted to go out to the bar after the matches and he wanted to drink, go ahead. I'm the, I'm the, I'm, I'm the designated driver. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to drink. I just, it didn't work with me. If we were off a day, like, you know, if we were at WCW and we, you know, we, we'd fly to wherever and we were there for three or four days and we only had to work two of those days. When we were off, Mark and I'd lay out by the pool during the day, go eat lunch, go to the gym in the morning, go eat lunch, come back, take a nap, whatever. Um, go to the show, come back after we did dinner. We might go to a Longhorners, Red Ops, something. I might have a beer, but then they'd go out and we'd go to the bar or whatever. And those guys would get, you know, shit faced, which is fine because yeah. I was driving. But they, I think what it was, the discipline I have because I was raised around that, it was nothing new to me when I got into business. And if you didn't fit in with them people, they don't want to hang around you. Yeah. Um, you know, which bothered me a little bit. I didn't, I didn't tell them that though. You know, I mean, you're going to judge me for something because I don't do something, but I'm your best friend when you need me. Yeah. I, I, I just. I've, I've always heard a thing of, you know, a lot of business got done in the bar, you know. Um, it's the truth. And, yeah. So if you're not yeah, in the it's, bar. It's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a click. You yeah. Know, if you don't fit in with the boys, they don't really want you to come around because not that they, not that they, they say it to you, they want to do the things that you don't do, but they can't because they're temptation. And Jerry Flynn has said it the best. You, have you heard of Jerry Flynn? Oh, yeah, big fan of his. Yeah, Jerry, okay, he was a temp boy also. He, he told um, a couple, of, uh, quite a few of the guys at Mark Starr's funeral, there's been promoter after promoter after promoter and booker after booker after booker and the boys that have tried to break Frankie Lancaster and to get him to do things he didn't want to do, and nobody can break him, and they yeah. won't. <laughs> I spent six years in the military. I was raised in a family of alcoholics and drug addicts, and I wasn't perfect. I just didn't choose that path. And because yeah. I said no to that and to them, I could damn sure say no to somebody that wasn't my family. It just yeah. didn't work for me. I'm not an angel. It just didn't work for me. I understand. Um, uh, your early run in WCW, you're working with the likes of Rick Rude, the Hollywood Blondes, the Nasty Boys, Arn Anderson, Honky Tonk yes. Man. Uh, yes. Any stories of working with any of those guys? Um, they were very, very respectful to me. I can recall working with the Road Warriors on Thanksgiving night in Atlanta. Right. At the Thanksgiving, at the Thanksgiving Tag Team Tournament. Myself and, and, and Ron Slinker. Um, and I recall Mike picked me up for a press slam. And looked at me and said, Frankie, you ready? I said, yeah, go ahead. 
he was, he goes, you're going to go out to the third row. I said, Mike, please don't do that. I, I don't, I don't want to take that bump. And he laughed at me. He goes, I'm just kidding you, kid. And he threw me, you know, <laughs> the ring. I took a bump on, on a slam. And you know, from that day forward, after we got in the dressing room and I went up and shook his hand and thanked him, that guy hugged me. He says, I've never seen a more polite guy in this business than you. And every place I ever saw Mike and Joe, they always hugged me. Like, I, I don't care if they were talking to a book or over their match. Excuse me, Frankie, come here and treated me like a brother. And they always respected me. And they never, ever, except that one night beat me. And whenever, if I ever tag with those two guys again, they would never be, no, we're not taking a fall on him. We're going to take it on him. They right. would never, ever beat me. Oh, no, that's great. It is. I mean, and, and what, you know, I didn't have enough knowledge. And those guys, you know, they're, whoever worked with the Road Warriors knew those guys could, you know, I don't care what you want to do. If they didn't want to do it, they weren't going to do it. And you yeah. couldn't make them. So, but they were, you know, they were very humble to people that, that treated them right. Yeah. And it's but, a, it's a uh, sad, sad thing that they're both Rick, not here. Rick Root and I, we, we were together when Wahoo um, booked Florida. I came in and I, I was underneath the mid-card. Um, I had worked with, with Rick Root one time on TV at the Sportatorium where I got my start. And I remember right before he pinned me in a match, he went like this and blew his nose on me and my face was down on the <laughs> canvas. And I felt that hit my back. When we got in the dressing room, I didn't say it in front of the boys. I said, Rick, can I talk to you? He said, sure. We walked around the corner. And I looked and I said, I don't mind doing a job for you, bro. This is my job to do. And I can't whip your ass. But I don't appreciate you blowing your nose on me, even though you're trying to get heat. And that's fine. Please don't ever do that to me again. And he looked at me and said, I'm sorry. Kind of like a smart ass after he's had a shower. And that night we went to, a, to, to work in Miami. He goes, he goes, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He goes, I got to think about what you're saying. He goes, I probably should have never done that to you. I'm very sorry. I'll never do that to you again. Because it humiliated me is what he did. Yeah. And people saw that on TV. You know, now whether they had it on the on the taping, I don't remember if they saw it on taping, you know, that yeah. Saturday when they showed it. But that shit didn't work for me, man. Yeah. I mean, you can put the boots to me or whatever to work. When you sit there and blow your fucking nose, excuse me, you blow your nose on me, now that's not going to, that, you know, that's just total disrespect. You know, as a heel, I, I mean, I may have done that in a house match or at a distance or like I was going to, but I never legitimately did that. And I just think it's degrading. I understand and I as agree. As far as Rip, Rip Rogers, Ron Arnerson, those guys, um, I always had good matches with them. They, they never hurt me. Um, I listened to them like I was told to do, you know, and, 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 and did what I could. Um, my fondest memories of, of matches is, is when I became middle card to more, you know, higher up on the, on the cards. Yeah. My memories of the guys that I work with, like especially with being with, was with Wendell when I was in a tag team or when I was with Eric in a tag team with the Bon Erics. I have a lot of memories of those guys because of the tag team matches I had and the amount of times that Eric Embry and I spent in world-class wrestling working with Tony and Skip for 35 to 40, 45 minutes a night in these buildings that didn't have AC. But I was conditioned then too and I could go and go and go and go to where Eric was. But... I, you know, usually in a tag team, you have a workhorse and you have, like Arn Anderson, when he was with the, you know, the, the four horsemen, he was the workhorse of that, of that tag team. Yeah. You you always have a strong guy in a tag team that's the workhorse. And I, I was, Wendell and I were of equal, we were the heartbreakers, but when he quit and then came back, we did the same, I was the workhorse for the team because he didn't, he chose up to take care of himself. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't care. It, it, it gives me great pleasure to work with him because we have been through thick and thin together. And that's why I would say he's the best friend I have in this wrestling business. Excellent, Brian. And, and, and Mike Moran would be the second. 
And when I tell you, yeah. I have the utmost for Mike. And Mike, Mike, had, he had, he's like you. He doesn't have near the knowledge you have, but he always hears things and he'll call me or text me, hey, Frankie, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? Because I don't, I don't do social media. I don't know how to do those computers and stuff like that. And I don't want to learn. Not that I, I don't like hearing it. I just don't want to learn it. So whatever that news I hear from Mike, I always, I usually hear from Mike first. He'll text me or call me, hey, Frankie, blah, 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 blah. Right. Fair yes. enough. Um, you know what? I found something quite interesting in my research and I wanted to see if it was true. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but it's the 23rd of January, 1995. Uh, Razor Ramon defeats Frankie Lancaster at the Manatee Civic Center in Palmetto, That's Florida. That's so correct. you work one match in the WWF whilst you're still doing stuff in WCW or did you leave WCW briefly? No, I, I could, I, I, I wasn't when, so when I was with WCW, I had to even ask Mike Graham, am I on a retainer when I can't do it? He goes, Frank, you can do whatever you want to do. Oh, okay. So it's like Mike yeah. when he was doing AWA and WWF at the same That's time. That's correct. Yeah, okay. I wasn't, now had they had me on full time, I wouldn't be able to do that. But just since I was going to do TVs or, you know, that with their house shows, I was on a retainer work because even Ted right. said, if you're not on contract with us, nightly is different. You can do what you want. If you're on a yearly, an annual contract, you can't, you can't, you only can stick with WCW, but if you're right. not, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to do. So did you have to get on the phone? Like Mike said, to, to listen for your name, uh, to be somewhere at a certain date. He said, he, no, he said well, this, this is, this is what would happen. So when I first started with WCW, they had started that they would always send plane tickets to our house. Um, it came on Mondays and you knew where you had, but Mike would always call you, Frankie, I need you in. Oh, Trenton, okay. New Jersey. I need you in Stanford, Connecticut. Blah 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 blah. Your plane tickets will be at your house on Monday. FedEx would always drop the plane tickets if I was there. But I got to know the FedEx guy so well when I was at WCW. A lot of times we'd leave on Monday mornings, but he dropped the mail off in the afternoon. He knew to go around through my gate and on my back porch. I leave it unlocked for him, and he'd leave my plane tickets on the back porch so I wouldn't take any chance of somebody stealing or losing. Right. Them. But yeah, yeah. but I always do ahead because Mike would always tell me and Mark at the TVs, "Hey, I got you guys for these dates. Make sure you get your plane tickets." Right. If there's any problems, we would just call Georgiana, who I think who it was that did the um, flights for Ted Turner. She was one of the ladies that did the flights for for the people in, in Ted Turner. You know, right. even, even as a, as an underneath a middle guy, when you were very nice to those people, they treated you like you were a main event. Yeah. Um. So, so what was that experience like working with Razor Ramon on on? on I, I think it was great because Razor Ramon and I we were in Charlotte together when when as a matter of fact, when he when he came there. And he looked very good when I met him in, he's Temple also, um, or actually just outside of Orlando. Um, they had him cover up his body because they had Billy Superstar Graham there in Charlotte. And he was making Billy look bad. So they had him wear leggings and stuff like that to cover up his body. And he didn't like that. I said, bro, there's a reason they're doing this. And he understood it, but he goes, right. I got to get my foot in the door. So that's exactly what they had to do. But he was extremely easy. You know, he did that razor's edge on me. He said, Frankie, just do this here. Just stay relaxed. I'm not going to hurt you. And, you know, it was a, it was a real, real quick match. Probably from my house, it took a little less than an hour to get there. It's all interstate. It was 400 bucks. Right there. We had, they paid me $400. Yeah, when you're on Monday Night Raw. They so. paid you cash. Yeah. At that time, before you left, they had they, these guys would be there at the table with, with briefcases. Frankie, mama, here's your money. And count this before you leave. So they always want you to turn your back to the to the guys because you know, hey, well, they, you pay him for it, and you only pay him 150 or whatever. But so no problem. Here, here's my money. And they and those guys got to me where they'd say, here, here's four one hundred dollar bills. That's good. You're good. Thank you much. And okay, we'll see you in, in three days in uh, Jacksonville okay. or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. but it, it was very easy. 
Those so guys never tried. They, they would pin me, but they never transferred from WWE. They always, you know, respected my work. Yeah. And, and it's cool that you got to be on Monday Night Raw as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, sure. Uh, again, doing more research and watching a whole bunch of your matches today, I rewatched a match that I remember seeing a few years back because um, I've been watching a lot of WCW chronologically for the last five to 10 years. Um, so I've seen every episode of Worldwide. Uh, Bill Goldberg, I wanted I gave to... him his very first TV match in Orlando. Right. Awesome. Did, did you, were, you, were you aware of that? Uh, I, I'd only, I, I thought that his first match was against Hugh Morris. Was this his first match on television? His, his first TV match. What really? I was aware of was at, at Universal because WCW. Oh, it probably aired days. after the Hugh Morris match, but it yes. was recorded ages before that. Okay. Yes. Every 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 hundred days, uh, uh, WCW would either go to Universal or one of those parks for ten straight yeah. days yeah. to do four tapes a day. <laughs> so, I mean, with all due respect, let's just say that you were. The, I mean, and you you had you had whether you worked the first tape, second tape, third tape, or fourth tape, whatever. When you were there, they were, you know, the guys that were local, if, if you could, and if you if you weren't on all four tapes and you worked two tapes, they'd try to put you on the first two tapes and then you would, you know, they'd go ahead and send you home because yeah. you were there for 10 straight days. Of course. But the guys that live in Tampa, we would just drive back and forth because it was only like 90 miles or 80 miles. We'd always pair up and ride two or three to a car. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, and they were paying you 500, 500 bucks a tape. So if you got on four tapes, you're making two grand in a day. That's was it a long good. day for you? Yeah, but if you were if you were there for four tapes, it was a long day. If you weren't in, in Tedrow, you'd always get your check every two weeks. I mean, that money was on time. It was never late. So that was an opportunity every hundred days. You you can bet your ass. There's times I had checks for ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah! Wow! Incredible! Yeah. So. And I mean, it's it's worldwide as well. It's not like you're going to be out there doing a 25 minute match. You're out there doing a seven, yeah. eight minute match. And with Goldberg, when he came out, when I tell you I locked up with him, I thought he was going to break my arm. I said, Bill, you've got to relax, buddy. Come on, man. I said, you're going to wind up hurting me. And when I told him that, he settled down. He was a little sick on a few things, but that, that jackknife he did for a finish, there's no problem. And he thanked me for talking to him because they were pushing him so hard and he took it to, to heart that he was, you know, he was going to be the whatever it was. But a lot of these guys, when you get that push, they take it to their head and they, and they, they don't do it intentionally, but they hurt you because they're being very aggressive. That's what they're told to be. But when you're working with guys that have been in the business a long time, the last thing you want to do is hurt them because they just going to get around. Well, no, I don't want to work with him because he's too silly. And I don't want yeah. him to hurt me. So then they'll get some inexperienced guy out there that makes him look like shit. Yeah. So, but yeah, Bill, Bill was a, uh, I mean, and when I had my tanning salon and I was working for WCW, Bill, when he came into town, he came to my salon and tan. I mean, he was always good to me. Yeah. And it was a good match too. Um, Thank you. Especially considering that he was so green. Um, and yes. yeah, it worked out quite well and you took, you took the finish quite nicely and um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I, I noticed also in my research, you, you worked with Randy Savage. Um, who one of my favorites of all time. What was that like working with him and being around him? He, he it, sounds it, like it, it, it was an it was an honor to work with him. But um, I'm thinking before I speak. Uh, he was he was a master in the ring. Also, um, he never hurt me. Uh, 
I felt that Randy was out for Randy. And whatever it did to take him to make him look good, he would do. At the expense of hurting me, he never did hurt me, but I only had a few matches with him. Outside the ring, he was very humble to me. Inside the ring, the head went like this, and he was here and I was here. Okay. But, you know, and so be it. That's fine. I mean, I knew what my job was when I went there to, to do what I did. Um, I got along with him. He wasn't one of my best friends. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, I also watched a match today, which, you know what? I was a little disappointed by this match and not for any reason on your end, but you wrestled Ric Flair on WCW Saturday night and you didn't get any offense in whatsoever. Maybe they were just trying to build him up for this rematch he was having with Arn Anderson on Nitro. That's but... exactly what they were doing. That's it. And he told me that before he got there. He goes, Frankie, oh. I don't know if able to do anything. But Rick, I get along with Rick very well. There's a lot of times when I was married to my first wife before I got in that uh, accident that I told you about when I was in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. I was only there for a couple of months. We go to a town, or, or, if I, or if I, I'm sorry, when I was at other promotions, if Rick came in, he always called me, Frankie, pick me up, we'll go to the gym, blah, blah, we'll have lunch, I'll take you to your wife's lunch, whatever. And he did that on several occasions. I, I had a lot of respect for him. And he never did hurt me, but there was a lot of times I did stuff for him. And he said, Frankie, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this, but that's what my job is. So right. but to work with him, oh my God, I, I can do that every night for the rest of my life and be fine. Yeah, it looks you like a, never, an easy ever, You were never, ever lost with that man in the ring, ever. I don't care what happened. If you messed up, if you sort of screw up, he could fix it real quick. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was looking forward I to seeing you, just a little bit of back and of forth with you two. I, I really want to see a bit of back and forth. You know, you giving him the backdrop and all that stuff. I really want to see the uh, usual stuff. But uh, I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have it. A lot of times when they built those guys with angles, like with, with Goldberg, it just seems to me when they did those guys, you know, I think their the mentality then was just go and have Guthrie just beat the shit out of this guy. But this is my philosophy and being on top. If you if you don't mind me saying to you, sure. If you go out there and you're you're the main event and you're with a guy that's nothing, and you when you beat when you go out there and beat the shit out of somebody, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. So if you if you go out and beat somebody, what have you beat? What have you accomplished? Give yeah. the guy a fighting chance. Yeah. And it doesn't that, make and you, you do beat him, you, you look better you, because you just overcame him. If you've been in the business 20 years, the guy's been in the business two years and had 15 matches, you know, what you beat? Yeah. Of course you're going to beat the guy. Your experience alone is going to do that. But when you just go out there and just make, just just gobble somebody up, I don't think you've accomplished anything. And no, there, was a, there was, there was I, I think when I first started there, maybe a couple of times, um, even with the floor championship wrestling, I never got gobbled up. I think Scott Norton was the only time that I ever did something that was that was you know he powerbombed me all he did. He didn't pivot; he just powerbombed me. Yeah. Later in the summer, we'll kick him out of the ring and the match is over with. Okay. But as far as doing a, just a straight out job and getting Paul mobile and, and just treated like a bunch of you know crap, that never happened to me in this business. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I, again, I'm a firm believer. If you go out there and beat nothing when you know you could have given that guy a chance, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got, I don't think that's anything that you're, that's going to be on your, on your, on your, you know, your, 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 your what, what do you call it, your portfolio. You yeah. agree with me? I agree. Yeah. Um, but I, sorry, I, I also wanted to ask about a match that you had with a guy by the name of Roadblock who, I uh, can't really find much information about, he, but yeah, I, I uh... you—you know, mentioned that. Um, he was a nice guy, but he was in Puerto Rico with us, and he came with a couple other guys 
that they that one guy was had blonde hair. I can't. He was a manager. But they they came from the New York area or wherever it was they came from, and they brought him to Puerto Rico. They came with a guy they called Leatherface. He wore a hood and came to the match with a chainsaw, or to the ring with a chainsaw. But Roadblock was there, and he would always carry one of those blinking lights that they put, you know. On yeah, yeah, the, the thing that he would have. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a nice guy, but his work was god awful. And yeah. when they brought him that night to WCW, and I saw him, I hadn't seen him in ten years from Puerto Rico. Hey, Frankie, how you doing? Hey, buddy, blah blah blah. You know, nice guy, long hair, easy going, but very like Brian Knobs, very unorthodox in the ring. Did you did you see where he did that back thing on that back up into the ring? Is that the back yeah that you saw? yeah yeah? I was gonna say like that 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 move is the shit. So, he it never looks good. Way off of- and I, you, if you notice, I moved so I wouldn't get my face crushed with his yeah, leg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I told him, I said, we, I can't remember his first name. Oh, God. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll Google it. Uh, road, roadblock WCW. Uh, Joseph. Okay. Joseph. I think he went by Joe. Anyway, I said, Joe, when, he, when we got ready to finish, I said, listen to me. When you do that finish with me, make sure you have me in the place that you need me because otherwise your knees will hit me in the face and you're going to bust my eye wide open. Yeah. So when he, when he I did that slam or whatever it was and he got lined up, he had he been, because he's left-handed, when he got in the ring and did that, put his arm around that top turnbuckle, it threw his weight off. And yeah. I had to move myself to where I wouldn't get my face and, and it happened every time he did it. He he needed Absolutely. to put them on a 45-degree angle to, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. that and that, that's what properly. happened to Puerto Rico. He hurt so many guys. They The, the job boys in Puerto Rico said, we're not going to work with this guy anymore because all he does is hurt you. Yeah, someone he, should have just told him, don't do that. Think of something else. You're a big man. You don't yeah, need do to a do, spa, do a splash or something. You don't need to yeah. roll over the top rope like, uh, you know. I even, I even told Mike Graham that when, he, when he, he gave me that match. He said, Frankie, would you mind putting him over? I said, yeah, man, I might put him over. I just don't want to do that stupid thing that he does. He goes, let's just finish. You know, blah, blah, blah. He said, just go with it. He goes, you know, just take care of yourself. It's just, it's just just a terrible move. It's yeah, like just. That, that thing meant nothing because they weren't going to use him. That's the last time they used him was that one time. Yeah, they yeah, used him. Of- he got a few wins so Lex Luger could put him into the torture rack. That's all I remember. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and that was just for Lex Luger to get built up to wrestle the Giant. That's the only reason right. why they built up Roadblock was to get Lex Luger to get a win I, over him I, to you know, wrestle I, I the Giant. Them, I understand them pushing somebody, but when you're nothing and you're pushing somebody because you're going against somebody that's, that's been in the business for a long time and has a name, I don't think it's going to, for, for, for a guy who got there to do a job for him. I mean, even if it, even if it was something like where he did a, 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 you know, I got a comeback and he stopped me out of the turnbuckle and, you know, he was in the turnbuckle. I'm hitting boom, 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 boom. And he nutted me. And I took a bump back one, two and on the third count. He put his foot up on the rope. I could see that, but just that straight out win. It did. It, I saw, I, I never seen the reason for it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I would speak up. Yeah. What's the purpose of beating me like that? As long as I've been here, why would you beat me like that? Yeah. And what it was because I they know I could do after that many years of business, I could do whatever it took to, to do, and I did. Yeah. What do you um, do, man? I found another interesting little thing here. Uh, the eleventh of April, nineteen ninety-eight, you went back to Puerto Rico with Alex Porto to face yeah. Glamour Boy Shane and Ricky Santana in a yeah. WWC tag title match. Um, what led you to go back there for that? I mean, I don't know if it was just one shot or not, but. Um... 
Well, no. Um, Wendell had left, and when when he left, I, I think I stayed there another. I finished up. I, I, I went ahead and gave him because after he left, he didn't even give us notice. When I went, remember, I told you about that when he got we got paid. Yeah. yeah. I, they, they, so the guy came to pick us up. It was one of the one of the underneath guys. He was driving, so we always give him trans money. You know, we didn't. WCW said don't worry about paying the guy. But when I felt bad because they were paying us a grand a week, we're working four nights a week at that time, and they were paying these guys twenty dollars, twenty five dollars a night. You know, these guys are having to work daytime jobs. We know what it's like. So we always give the guy 10 bucks a piece, and the guy looked at you like you were a, a king. You know, here's 20 bucks I made, and maybe I'll give you 30 bucks. So I made 50 bucks today. And it might, you know, it might be a 20 minute ride to the town. So we always gave the guy, you know, the guys that would pick us up, we'd always give them gas money. When we left there, we'd buy him, you know, if we bought beer, we'd buy, hey, we're in the house for the six. We'll buy him six beers, you know, whatever. We never took advantage of people because we had been in the shoes they were in. So, where was I at? Uh, well, this is 1998, so it was a few years after you were there last. Oh, yeah. So um, I had gone back because, remember, Alex, when one and I were on top there, Alex was underneath. And at the time, I had taken a year off from wrestling because my ex-wife and I, my daughter's mother, we all, we bought a tanning salon in Tampa. Okay. So I had, to work there for, I had to work there for a year to get that thing going. Right. And then Alex called me. Alex had had that run with, with uh, Vince where he was the pug. And he left there, and WCW knew Alex from being there before. And then when he left there, he went and worked as a pug. So he learned a lot more. He got experience. And I asked right. him if he wanted to tag with me. He said, sure. I said, well, I'm going to call Carlos and see if I can get to go in there as a heartbreakers. Because remember, one and I were together there also. So yeah. I called Carlos. He said, absolutely. You guys can come back as a tag. Because it had been a year or a year and a half since Wendell and I had been there. And then um, we had worked with R- Ricky and Shane. Shane, what's, what was Shane's last name? Uh, sorry, it was um, because I'm uh, thinking of Shane Douglas who used to work with uh, uh sorry, it, it just said um, Glamour Boy Shane. Okay, whatever that was, I, I it'll come to me, but he was a wannabe Ric Flair so bad. Oh, god, and the guy was nice, but he would always ask, like me and Alex or me and Wendell, do you mind if I have a, I have a request? Can I do this spot? Because he was trying things that Flair did. I said, I don't care if you try that, but if you're not sure at the time that we call that spot to you. Don't do it because I don't want to get hurt. And he didn't. And usually if he called a spot, we said, okay, let's do it. He would be on point with it. But the, the matches with him and Ricky, um, I think I think they were good. Um, I would have rather worked a program with him and Ricky than I would have him and Rex. Yeah. Um, I Rex think was Shane, Shane Sewell. Shane Sewell? Or Sewell? Shane Sewell. Sewell. That's, that's, that's how you pronounce it. I've got a friend with that surname. It's S-E-W-E-L-L, isn't it? Yeah, Sewell. yeah. I couldn't remember. Sewell. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I've got a friend who's got that surname, and I've never been able to pronounce to it properly. With. He was very easy to get along with, and he knew us as heels. He knew how we wanted him to bump and sell our stuff, and he was he was, he was was very good at that. But I, I've enjoyed working, you know, what matches we had with with uh, Shane and, and, and Ricky. It was just like working with, with Ricky and Rex, with me and Wendell. It was yeah. same same uh, same comfortableness. It was, it was great. Um, I wanted to mention this, the 30th of September, 1999 on WCW Thunder, Frankie Lancaster gets a win over Dean Roll, AKA Shark Boy. I guess maybe he wasn't with the mask on that date, but uh, you got a win on television, which had been a little while. And I I was very shocked because I had to ask Mike, after all these years, you're going to finally give me a win? Mm. And what what was, how did I pay him? Sorry? How did I pin him? I don't remember. 
Um, I I don't have that information. Hang on. Okay, that's fine. That's I fine. reckon I can find yeah. it. But yeah, keep talking. Yeah, I'll find it. I always it. do is like when I when I was in with with uh, Von Erichs, I don't know if you know this. I think I believe I could be wrong. I call it the superplex, where you sit a guy on the top turnbuckle facing to the inside of the ring. I sit on the second row and pick him up for a vertical suplex and land him back in the ring. I'm the one that came up with that move. Right. I don't know if if if, if you could if you knew anybody that did that before me. But that I can remember, I'm the first one that started doing that. You did a suit. You were the first one to do a suplex off the top rope. Onto- no, no. I stand. I I put my opponent on the top rope, sitting in there, and you with his the legs right. in, with his legs inside the the, the, the ring. Oh. I stand on the second rope, and I vertically, I hold up vertically, and then a vertical suplex. Really? And I call it a super. I call it a superplex. Right. Wow. And I, now I, I I didn't. And the reason why I didn't stay on the top rope is because I didn't want to take the chance of hurting him. The yeah. person for myself, and I wasn't so I didn't do that. I stood on the second because I had that top rope to balance me and make sure I had him. And I always get a work. I'd say, "Are you ready?" You know, and they'd say, "Yes." Yeah. I said, oh, "Here we go. Just stay. Just just keep your head tucked." And I'd never let go of those guys until we hit that canvas. When we hit, I let them. I'd, I'd let my arm go of their head because I wanted to support their neck. I said, "Just keep your chin to your chest and don't and don't move until we hit." Right. And those guys were. Those guys would probably piss themselves. You know, when they were in that position. I say I'm yeah. never going to hurt you. I'll never let you get hurt. Yeah, but I, I again, I could be wrong. I don't ever remember seeing that move done before until I did it. Yeah, with the legs on the inside, it's uh, yeah. When when you're watching it, it's quite impressive. No, I, I I had I had my legs on the inside. Your legs on the inside. There's yes, but here's on the outside because otherwise they would get taken up with mine. Yeah, but yeah. I always, tried to, I always tried to set that spot up as a heel to get the 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 baby face to go up to the top rope. A couple of times, come off, you know, whatever it be, come off, come off, come off the thing and, you know, get, get your heat on me, blah, blah, blah. Maybe the second or third time you get up in the top rope or you get up there, I gouge your eyes. You take the nut, take the nut bump, and as you sell it, then I turn around, jump up on the middle rope, and I hook you, and that's when we're ready to go. Right. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. But I always get those legs to the outside because otherwise, if their legs are on the outside of my mind, as soon as I run up, their heels and hit the inside of the rope. Right. You follow me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up March 29th, 2000, you wrestled Lash LaRue in the final episode of WCW Saturday Night before it was Unbelievable. Uh, I don't understand that for one damn bit. I watched that. Let me see. Because my wife, I had my, my wife did a VCR and we had it recorded to CD, something like that. Lash LaRue was that red guy from Louisiana that had that L-shaped beard yes. thing. Yeah. And that shit he did with that dance thing and that split and then... I didn't understand that either. And I said, and I told Mike, this is the last take. This, why did you ask you this, Frankie? That's what they want. Right. So I did what I had to do. And that's, that's the first and the only time I ever met that guy and the last time I ever saw him talk to him. But uh-huh. I mean, he was okay, but I, I, I didn't think he deserved to beat me. Yeah. I as remember long the- as I get there. You know what? I remember there was a match with you on Saturday night against Al Green. And both yes. of you had been copping of several losses leading up yes. to this match and, and I, was, I was excited to watch this match because i'm like wow i'm watching saturday night and i actually don't know who's going to win this one who's going to finally get a win here so you know that, that was a pretty good match but uh yeah i and i i like al as a person but he in his world he was the, he was the king of the ring right and i liked him as a person i just never agree with really any of his work and he was he was real tight with kevin's hall i used i guess he used to work with Kevin Sullivan in other places and stuff. So Kevin said, I owed him a, a, a win. So I said, but why don't you have him beat me as long as I've been here? 
and 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 I don't and I'm not down the guy. He, he did the best. He could. I don't think he was a polished worker. Did it ever bother you through this whole run in WCW, especially in like the late nineties? Did it ever bother you that? It was always uh, you put it over someone on Saturday night or a worldwide, Absolutely. and you never got the chance to, to get a little bit of momentum here or there, or get a win here or there, and or at least have a match that went longer than ten minutes, so you could really absolutely one hundred percent. And this I is where you play your craft. This is where you get to show what you've learned over the years, and you can't do that in. Four minutes. You can't do that in six no. minutes. You need at least ten, a little bit more, to show you how creative you can be and to get those fans and listen to the crowd and get them into what you're doing and and, and buy into what you're selling. So I had discussed that with Mike Graham and what what's the what was Vern Gagne's son name? Greg. Greg. Greg Gagne. Yeah. yeah. So he, they were they were they were part of the enhancement guys, uh, talent or whatever. And to hear Greg, I never worked for the for the for. Vern, when he had his territory, I, I, I think I, I never worked for Bob Geigel in Kansas City. I never worked for Ganya. I never worked for Don Owens in Portland. Um, I did San Antonio. I did the Von Ericks. I did Watts. I did the Fullers, Tampa, Charlotte, Atlanta, and for Vince for TVs and a few house shows. But I never yeah. worked. The, the Northwest or the Northern Territories, but Vern Greg Gagne was, it was always, you know, well, yeah, we're pushing this guy now. And I think to myself, I've been in this business a long time. Now. I want you guys, you know, help me out some, you know, and I was as professional as I could be with them. But yeah. just, I don't, I don't. But here's the, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing, Frankie. And, and I, and I like slash LaRue, but when I see you walk out after he's made his entrance, I'm like, Look at this guy. He could kill Lash LaRue. Lash LaRue is a cruiserweight. This guy's a heavyweight. And I told and I told Mike, I said, do you think people are going to believe this? He said, Frankie, this shit's a work. I said, that's my point, Mike. He understood my point, but he was in a position where he had to, he couldn't give in to me. He said, Frankie, if this was Florida, we'd have you beat the hell out of that guy. But this is not Florida. Ted Turner owns this. So it, it infuriated me. There's a lot of times I walk out of that ring pissed off and think of myself, just quit. But the money that I was making, I, you know, it's, yeah. then, they, then they, you know, then they started flying us. If it was over 200 miles, they flew us. And then, you know, was paying us $500 a night, not $400 a night. I mean, what was that going to do? I mean, it's, yeah, I exactly. Feed my family and pay my bills and, you know, but yeah, you, it was, there was a lot of times I was aggravated with, with WCW and the shit they did, especially you know that I worked on top on and, and other different territories. And usually when you work on top of other different territories, you come into territory where you do work on top, they bring you back after your first. They give you an opportunity to work on top and draw money. Of course. But, yeah. It was, it was like when I spoke sense. to Mike and, and, and Mike was talking about all this money that he and Bull Payne drew in, in yeah. Puerto Rico and they're on top and they're doing all this stuff and they go to WCW and he's with Tough Tom and Disorderly Conduct and they just don't get given a chance to do anything. It just must be frustrating for anyone who is, is a creative person who's been doing this for years to want to be able to show what they can do, but they're just stuck on these syndicated shows that only give them eight to 10 minutes if they're lucky. You're right. It's, it, 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 it's, it was very frustrating in the business, especially to the guys that had earned their keep and been in the business as long as we did and did all these promoters favors for all the years and worked our asses off. You think it'd get returned, but 
what's done is done and there's nothing you can do. Look back and, you know, browse your career. And do I wish things were different? I sure do. I wish I could have been a hometown hero. I was for a little while, but not to where I was many minute status. I was maybe mid card. But yeah. my goal of life was to be um, a hometown hero where people will see me. And they know he's a professional wrestler here in Tampa, yes. But am I the Ric Flair of Tampa? Absolutely not. So, but Carl, I, I, I don't want to uh, disrespect you, but I've got to get moving um, to take my grandson back to uh, okay. a daughter's house. Uh, they're going to go on vacation. They're leaving for Tennessee today. And I'm going to have to cut this, go ahead and cut this if you don't mind. Okay. Um, uh, how many minutes do you have? If you want to wrap it up in just a couple minutes, I can give you a couple minutes and that's it. Okay. Um, I, I, I did want to ask you quickly about when you heard about WCW Saturday night being canceled, did you see the writing on the wall there with you? Absolutely. I knew Vince. I had gotten a Mark star and I had heard from Mike that Vince was buying them out. Right. Okay. We had gotten the, um, the notice a, a, a lot sooner than a lot of people did. Okay. Um, and well, it, it was, it was very, it was very disappointing because they said that Vince, that Ted Turner couldn't keep up with Vince. Well, that I'm aware of, Ted Turner's got a whole lot more money than Vince. And Vince said at one time, he didn't have the resources that Ted Turner had. But I think Ted Turner was done because I think Sting was getting, wanting to retire and some other guys, other top guys were wanting to retire. And I think once those guys retired and Flair went to, to Vince, that that territory was going to go way down because he didn't have enough firepower to yeah. keep the, area, the territory going. I understand. Um, and that, 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 That's my speculation. Cool, man. Um, I'll end this quickly. We've got one last segment. It's quick fire. It's called Five Second Frenzy, where I just ask you these questions where you just need one quick answer, um, okay. and that's how we end the show. Uh, okay. So, Frankie, your favorite wrestler that you ever had as a, as a fan? The, the favorite wrestler that I wanted to work with or that I liked? That you liked. Don Morocco. Favorite opponent? Favorite opponent, um, Ricky Santana. Uh, your favorite match you ever had? The street fight that won the one I had is the Heartbreakers against Ricky and Rex. Awesome. Your favorite TV show? The local news. <laughs> your I favorite? Fair enough. Uh, your favorite film? Um, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, awesome. Awesome, man. Love it too. Uh, your favorite musical artist? George Strait. Excellent. Your favorite food? Um, I, I'm a rice potato. I'm, I'm a starch meat and vegetable guy. Uh, <laughs> probably anything homemade that, well, that my wife cooks. I, I, I get you, man. Chicken, yellow, yellow rice and chicken. And Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, your favorite place to eat on the road? Olive Garden. Excellent. Uh, third last one, your favorite beverage? Any sort of drink you like to have? Coke. Uh, second last one, a bit of a naughty one, Frankie. Uh, your favorite female body part? Breast. <laughs> and uh, you know what? You can swear on this show. The last question is your favorite curse word. <laughs> we get that one a lot frankie lancaster i am so proud that i got the chance to talk to you here tonight um you have been so engaging you've 
bared your soul. You've told me your story and I really appreciate your time. And, and uh, I did have some other questions, but we, we pretty much got to, to the end of your time at WCW. So that's cool. But um, I just want to say uh, everything that you did, everything that you've accomplished, you'd be so proud of yourself that you're at the stage in your life where you've, you're with the one that you love and you, uh, you have accomplished all these things. You've had all these great moments in life. And I just think you should be very proud of everything you've done in the wrestling business uh, because from the most isolated city in Perth, Western Australia, in the world, you have this guy right here. Appreciate you. You know, that means a whole lot to me, Carl, that you said that. And I do want to make a final statement if I can. I greatly appreciate what you did with me. You took the time out and for me to, 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 to find out my, my history of, of the wrestling business. Um, I, I owe a lot of it to my present wife, who I've been with for 21 years, and she's my rock. She's my soul. She watches our grandson. She has more patience than, than anybody I've ever met in my life. And she's been through thick and, thick and thin times with me and hard times. And there's been a lot of times I, I wasn't who I was supposed to be. And she's still back me and she's still stuck with me. So she's my world. Excellent, bro. Well, and, thank and, you and, again. And, my, and, 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 and the three guys I, I look up to or have as my best friends are, are Wildcat Wendell Cooley, Alex the Pug Porto, and me, Mike Moran. Those guys, are my, those guys are my, are my brothers. Excellent, bro. Well, I'm glad that you've got at least three guys from the business that you're so tight with. And uh, to this day, you call your best friends. Absolutely. And I like to be the fourth one on that list. Brother, you're, you're right there. And let me, let me, let me give you my cell number if you want it. I mean, if you want to blank out the volume, you can, but I want to give you my cell number. If I can, you know, keep in touch with you or call me or something, or I'll call you, whatever. Can I give yeah, you my sure. cell number? Sure. Oh, you know, you know, you know, you want me to have my wife email it to you? Have her email it to me. That'll be better. Yeah. Okay, cool. No problem at all, buddy. Thank you so much, Jack. Or uh, Carl. No, well, no so it says Jack, but I'm Carl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I'm sitting there looking at your shirt. I, I'm looking at myself. Oh, I didn't have my glass on. Now I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm using it. Jack's Stop account. It. I'm using Jack's look, account look to interview room, you. Dog, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Frankie. I really appreciate your time today. And, um, uh, again, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the WCW Network's 55 live podcast here with the one and only Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. He is a tremendous human being, and this planet is better because he has been on it. So thank you again, Thanks, Frankie. And thank you for watching the show. We will see you next time.